The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. This is Chris Carter, and you're listening to The Nerdy Show. Butterfly in the sky. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. And this episode is an episode of Nerdy Show Book Club, where we talk about books, the kinds that don't necessarily have pictures in them. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Brandon. Hey, I'm Colin. And our special book club guest this episode is our SciTech correspondent, Jessica Ullman. Hello. It's great to have you back on the show, Jessica. It's been far too long. It has been. I'm happy to be here. And the reason that you're here is because uh, this episode, we're talking to Michael Grant, who, along with Catherine Applegate, digivolved to form K.A. Applegate. <laughs> digivolved <laughs> to oh Mega Kabu Applegate. <laughs> Mega Kabu Applegate, man. Uh, it, the, the author of Animorphs. If you were a kid in the 90s, chances are you read some... You read the hell out of some Animorphs, one of the best sci-fi book series, really, of all time, regardless of it being young adults or not. I didn't do books till recently, so I'm the exception. Right. Jessica and I, we've been, uh, we've been nerding out about uh, Animorphs with each other for a long time, and so this is kind of like a dream come true. I'm afraid I'm going to get a little starstruck when I'm talking to him, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's- I'll just sit there with, like, drool down my face. Like, oh my god, it's Charlie Michael Grant. My favorite book. <laughs> the um the, the the reason that we're we're interviewing him is that uh he and Catherine Applegate have, have have released the first book they've written together in a long time last year. Uh it's called Even Adam, and that is our Nerdy Show Book Club read along book, the book that we have read along with you guys out in the community. This is Book Club. Welcome to Book Club. If this is your first book club, uh I think you're gonna enjoy it, but don't take my word for it. God damn. That was you said book club three times in that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> I would do it. I don't know. You're going to say book club I'm just saying. With, without teeth in your mouth if you, if you keep just, getting all up in my grill, son. I'm sorry. In Nerdy Show Book Club, we talk about the books that we've been reading in addition to the book that we've read along with the community. So that's what we're going to do right now. Talk about the books that we've been reading aside from even Adam. Brandon, you've been reading anything? I- oh, geez. See, okay, because I'm on you know this reading credit program for you, I really only read what you tell me to because that's uh-huh. how it works. Well, we need more, more of that government money. The yeah, exactly. Actually, business, so we need some more of that you? money. Well, yeah, should we reward you with like the buckets? So like when you were a kid, you got like the Pizza Hut, like pizzas when you got when you read a number of books. So no, maybe we can. I didn't read those either. But would would a personal pan pizza incentivize you today? <laughs> yes. Okay, so well, I should lay off the cheese, guys. We're going to get you a lenticular hologram button. We're going to get you some stickers for every book you read. And then we're going to take you to Pizza Hut for your personal pan pizza with can I get, one topping. Can I get little stars? Like gold stars? They're oh, man. Yeah. Okay, oh yeah, they're, they're even like little raised gold stars. They're you know they're fancy shit. I mean, I've reread stuff that I've already read, 
I, I reread the entire like um, Lyriel, Sabriel, Abhorsen series by Garth Nix because that's what I do. I reread all three of them before this book. Okay. Because um, he's coming out with a fourth one apparently years later. So he's working on that. It can't be bad. He's from Australia. Everyone out of Australia is great. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, like Matthew Cox. So technically, I've read three books since last book club, even though I've already read them. Despite the fact that you've reread them, I am still impressed, Brandon. Good I, show. I'm impressed, too. There weren't pictures mm. still. But they, got, they got covers <laughs> that have pictures, so that was good. What about our guest, Jessica? What you been reading lately? Um, besides the um, boring grad school statistics for experimenters and, you know, management worldwide, which are, you know, can't put those down. Um, <laughs> can't pick those up, more like yeah, it. Am I right? True, true yeah. story. <laughs> Um, I have actually still been trying to get through the Wheel of Time first book because I am always uh, dedicated. And if I've started a book, God damn it, I'm going to finish it. Don't but do it. it's, it's making it really hard to finish it. I think Colin, it. Colin had problems with that book, didn't he? I read the first one and it's basically, it, I'm not going to rehash what we talked about in the first, it was like the first or the second book club, but it's essentially like a, a Lord of the Rings ripoff. And no, although a lot of people, a lot of people got on my case about it and they were telling me that on the forums and the comments and they were saying that it was, uh, if you get through the first book, the rest of the books are great to, to a point. And then like there are, there's like, it's like, there's a really great, section of books right there in the middle and then towards the end not so much and you like you really shouldn't not yeah. so much so yeah jessica just skip the first one all right <laughs> well we'll see well then but that's the way i struggle with it's like they say that it sucks like past book four or something so it's like so yeah. i'm only gonna read, we'll read the, two well then finish the first finish the first one there's a yeah. lot you know there's a lot of books out there that sounds like something that's just plain not worth anybody's time because then you read it's the middle true. and then there's no conclusion because it's bad so you don't read the yeah. last book so yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it, you know, and speaking of long sagas, I'm reading uh, Game of Thrones still. I was reading it in the last book club, but I'm still, re- I'm still reading it because it's, you know, 1,200 pages long. And uh, for, for those who are keeping score, I just got through the Red Wedding. So there you go. Woo! All right. Well, uh, as, as repeat listeners of Book Club know, sometimes I can be a busy little bee. On occasion, we, we uh, give shout outs to graphic novels, and I got to do that right now. Uh, the Fifth Beetle just came out. The Fifth Beetle, the Brian Epstein story. It's written by Vivek Tuari and uh, art by Andrew C. Robinson and Kyle Baker. It's the story of the Beatles' manager. And uh, that might sound, oh my God, so boring. Uh, it's actually totally not. This is um, a, a powerful human story about a guy whose work inevitably changed the entire course of the world, if not just music. He was a, a gay man in Great Britain in a time when it was actually illegal to be gay. And uh, saw the Beatles perform and knew that they could actually, their music could actually change the world. He actually believed that from the moment he first saw them and fought uh, an impossible battle to make that the reality. And what we have here is a, uh, a gorgeously illustrated book that tells a story that has actually, in this comprehensive format, never been told before. There are several other books, but, but this one uh, was the result of 20 years of research from the author uh, to get the story right. And uh, it's about to be a, uh, it's going to be a movie. Uh, the first movie ever authorized to use the Beatles' entire songbook. Ooh. Wow. Uh, I, wow. That's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, I did an interview with Vivek Tiwari, which is on consequenceofsound.net, and we'll link to it on this episode's page, but I highly recommend it. The other thing I've been reading, my, uh, my bathroom reading, is... <laughs> that's, that's all of my reading, by the way. <laughs> it's a book called Choose Your Own Death, Star Winch. That's not like a choose-your-own-adventure? Uh, like, no. Like, how do no. I want to die? Headlined by, uh, you're Star Winch. Choose from 100 possible deaths. <laughs> 
It is uh, It is like a choose-your-own-adventure book. The premise is, uh, can you defeat the queen? No. But how will you die? So, uh, basically, all you know is that you're Starwinch, you're an interstellar adventurer, you're, you want to destroy the queen of space. She's powerful and treacherous. Uh, however, there's absolutely no way you can win. Her empire is too vast, and you're just either too incompetent or your luck is too bad. So, you, uh, the goal is to turn to any page in this book and, uh, and find out how you die. Uh, so just randomly any page. There's no like yeah, well, it actually, order. It actually demands that you do it in, in a random order. I have been reading it in order, but only to keep things straight. And it actually punishes you for that. <laughs> uh, it has. Wow. It's, it's an interesting exercise in world bending. And each each death has its own unique flavor. Uh, it's, it's sometimes a hindrance, actually. Sometimes there's just too much information to actually comprehensively put onto the page. But it's uh, it's pretty cool. And it has occasional illustrations by uh, a lot of artists, including a uh, local shop who does uh, the Lefty and Jamella comic with me, as well as some other Dungeons and Doritos art. So uh, I don't, I'm not sure if we have time for this, but, uh, but Brandon, you want to turn to a random page here? All right, random page in, in Starwinch. I don't really know what I'm doing or what this is about. Uh, it's, um, it's the book is not, it's not an erotic book, but it definitely has a certain sort of lesbian <clears throat> bondage slant to it. All right, it. turn to page 27. Am I reading it? Yeah. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Of all the planets you've crash-landed on, the best so far is undoubtedly Aqua Agua, the water planet. Your ship bobs like an island on endless green ocean. On top of the craft, your pilot Susie has stretched out a blanket on which she lies belly down, holophones over her ears, sunbathing. Crashing her precious ship did not leave her in the mood for skinny dipping. She doesn't know what she's missing. You float with the sea. Suddenly you feel what must be seaweed brushed past your ankle. It tickles in the weird way that things do under the water and you wish you'd been more persistent in trying to persuade Susie. You turn back towards the ship, which has grown smaller on the water, but is still within earshot. Hey, Sue! Before you can finish, you're tugged underwater. You come up gasping, looking around you. You suddenly realize that seaweed needs ground to grow on, and open your mouth to call out again. Down you go again, and come up spitting out water. You definitely felt it this time. Hands around your ankles. You take a deep breath, hold your mouth closed, and make a break for the ship. This time, she keeps you underwater, smiling into your eyes. A mermaid! She pries your mouth open with her tongue, giggling as bubbles stream past her face. Then she holds you tight to her sinuous body and shows no signs of letting go anytime soon. The end. So I guess I was killed by a mermaid, and there's an illustration next to it with a girl with like a weird, like, futuristic thing of shades or crown on her head and bubbles everywhere, and... There's a mermaid holding underwater with her tongue going all the way down and around and up into her mouth. And then the main character has a really confused like, look like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> She's got a nice bathing suit, though. Uh, so that's, <laughs> uh, that's uh, Starwinch, Choose Your Own Death. Um, I, like I like that. Oh, man, these illustrations are hilarious <laughs> shit. It's an, interesting, uh, it's an interesting concept. We'll link to where you can pick that up and all the other books on, uh, on, on Book Club. Are you ready to play the Nerdy Show drinking game? Because you better get ready to drink. We're playing some Adam Warrock. Surprise, surprise, but what can we say? The guy makes quality music all the damn time. This is something from his latest full-length record, The Middle of Nowhere. It's called Jarvis, or J-A-R-V-I-S is more accurate. Lyrically, it serves as a great defense for nerd rap, and it's a high-energy, ultra-high-quality Adam Warrock piece that you can totally nod your head to, so without further ado, Adam Warrock and Jarvis. Member. Yeah. With an M on my face 
in case you don't remember For my people in Genosha and Madripoor What I'm rapping for This is what you're asking for, it's why I'm sent to Rip apart every mic to like every kid's delight For the desperate housewives and the comic book guys Look guys, man I rapped about so many things I can't even remember what I'm rapping about now Remind me, rappers say they're making Sean Carter money Man, they ain't even making John Carter money Ain't it funny? Made a living full-time online, dunny While your mom's like Maybe you should try harder, honey Yeah, and I ain't living in that nerdy bubble Man, I'm down in the trenches like a dirty shovel This ain't a sub-tweet, man, if I said it, I meant it And if you ain't on the same frequency Better listen, Kenneth Yo, know what I'm saying? Check this shit out just a rather very intelligent system In my field of vision Like whenever I'm on a mission Every mic I'm gripping Dropping it too Every suit I rock and know I'm rocking for you The charm is wrapped like when the arc reactor Tested mic against a heart attack This is technology pushed to the limit This is the future and we're living right in it The future Sean Cassidy spitting so bombastically written I'm sun dancing, Butch Cassidy swimming Because the fall is gonna kill you if you don't drown first Mo internet fame, no problem Worse because saying Adam War Rock released a new track Is kinda like saying that the sun came up, Jack We're saying how the best part of Foo Schnickens is shat I'm half public enemy, half backstreet's back Hold on, damn, what are you saying, man? I'm saying sometimes, yeah, I listen to boy bands Sometimes I'm sick of rap, all the yakety yak About a strap and a backpack and how rappers are whack Because that's the kind of music that I made when I was younger and stupider, yo But now I got a stupider flow I'd rather use it to make music that does lie Talking about the zeitgeist or how Magneto was right Just a rather very intelligent system in my field of vision Like whenever I'm on a mission Every mic I'm gripping, dropping it too Every suit I'm rocking, know I'm rocking for you The charm is wrapped like when the arc reacts Tested mic against a heart attack This is technology pushed to the limit this is the future and we're living right in it The future Here rapping is easy I take a nerdy reference and I flip it around You don't believe me if I said Come against me you stupid boss After a battle take a Cal L a super loss Get it? See nobody wants to hear that for an hour straight You'll rather hear me talk about how Matt Lauer's great And if you think you do it better Yo sour grapes Y'all more bitter than the look on Bill Cowher's face I'd rather rap about Spider-Man and Doc Ock and some dope chicken wings I had at Pock Pock I never grind some of y'all worse than rock salt How otherwise I stay quiet Like the owner of Lockjaw So give a ha ha if y'all still think nerd rap Is stupid or pointless man Haven't they heard rap? I took what I loved and turned that Into rap a little more relatable And now that you heard that Just a rather very intelligent system In my field of vision Like whenever I'm on a mission Every mic I'm gripping Dropping it too Every suit I rock and know I rock it for you The charge is wrapped like when the arc reacts Tested mic against a heart attack This is technology pushed to the limit This is the future and we're living right in it The future Alright guys, so now we're going to talk about Eve and Adam, our read-along book for the month. And when we're done talking about Eve and Adam, we're going to talk to the author, or one of the authors of Eve and Adam, Michael Grant. So it was, uh, it was my book selection. I cheated and picked two books in a row, but that's okay because I'm forfeiting my next selection. I, you know, obviously I read it because it was by, it's the, a new book by the authors behind Animorphs. And I only just, at the publishing of this book, learned that Michael Grant and Catherine Applegate actually acted as a team in creating Animorphs. And the extent of that, we don't actually know yet. When we talk to Michael Grant, we're really going to figure that out because I haven't actually been able to find anywhere online where it's been specifically stated uh, how that exact, that work balance between the two of them actually panned out. But reading this book, I was delighted because that authorial voice that I grew up reading was here in this still young adult, but 
slightly more adult uh, format and uh, a really cool story about genetic engineering. I thought, well, damn, I mean, anybody who grew up during the 90s will want to know about this book. It should be our next read along. Well, give us a synopsis, Cap. So in short, for those of you who haven't read the book, we're going to be talking about the book in broad strokes and then uh, probably mention the ending to some degree. But uh, don't let that deter you. It's a very quick read. And yeah, this is totally. this- I think it I think it took me a total of two hours. I read it on a plane trip. It was super easy and I couldn't put it down either. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting combination of uh, super fast, but also super engaging. So the, the plot is about uh, a girl named Eve whose mom is uh, she runs this medical company that's got some uh, pretty elaborate dark secrets. And uh, she finds out that she actually had her genes tampered with, and now she has uh, some kind of a healing factor, basically. Not the genes that she wears. Right. But genetically. Okay. Yeah. I just, I just want to point that out yeah. for everyone. Uh, she gets, I want to buy them genes at the Gap. <laughs> <laughs> she gets I want to fall into that Gap. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, she, she gets into what should have been a lethal or at least crippling accident and uh, finds herself not dead. Uh, and whisked away to her mom's private facility where she's nursed back to health, though actually I think they were really just giving her body time to do what it was going to do anyway, which is restore her completely. And while she's there, she starts working on a, a project she's given to, like it's a busy work, to design the perfect man. In doing so, she doesn't realize that she's actually doing that with some new program because everything her mom's company is doing, there's some kind of illegal stuff going on with the genetic manipulation. Uh, she meets a young dude named Solo, and they kind of get this... Uh, and they this... mention that he's scruffy looking right <laughs> off the first sentence. His <laughs> yeah. name is Solo. Oh, yes. Yeah, and he's scruffy looking. Total, total surfer look. So just so, you, just so you know and you're aware. Yeah, yeah. This, the book in general is this, uh, this interesting, very abstract coming-of-age story. Lots of sexual tension. Yeah, lots, lots of sexual tension. Um, and, uh... But I mean, let's be honest, at 17, who doesn't have sexual tension? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's be honest. I didn't. I do now. You had sexual anger, Brandon. Yeah, I took it out on my. I took it out on like. I took it out on my door. I took it out on my fists. You don't. You won't believe where, what places and what I did to relieve my sexual tension. My sexual anger. <laughs> sexual hate. Just wrap that shit with sandpaper. Go at it with a mattress. Come on. Oh, Come on, guys. Come God. on, people. I have a different synopsis of this book. Okay. Wait, my, wait, hold on. Wait a minute, Brandon. I have yeah. a very important question. Yes. What was the grain count for your sandpaper? Was it a fine grain, like 220, or was it like a 100 coarse grain Some sandpaper? hardcore carpentry all, nerding here. All I can tell you about is that the roughness of, of my, my member is now that of a crocodile. <laughs> so just think about that for a bit. So here's my, son, here's my synopsis. Girl gets into an accident. Has Wolverine's healing factor, wants to bang dudes constantly and can't stop thinking about boys the whole book, creates a perfect man, he stops traffic, things get resolved later. That's, um, done. Huh. Uh, one cool thing about the book is that, uh, <laughs> is that it's done with different characters. Every chapter, it swaps between Eve and Solo, the surfer boy. I did like that a lot. Uh, much yeah, so- and so, and apparently, Catherine Applegate wrote the Eve parts, and then uh, Michael Grant wrote the Adam parts. So they actually just wrote separate parts of the book. Oh, which okay. could be really cool if you're thinking of it from two different people writing it, and it's really actually two different perspectives of the same story. Wow. What if they didn't know that what parts they were writing at the same time, and he's just like, I'm going to write this part now, and then she reads it and is like, I'm going to write this part, and then you know, they don't find out till later. Maybe. I guess we'll find out the process. Now, uh, Jessica, I, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Um, did 
Yeah, right. dude, you got to read the you got to read the questions for further study. Yeah, study yeah I read the further study because I'm a total nerd and I always do the further study questions. It's right there. Yeah, there's an interview right in the back. Well, you know what? We just need to re read this interview because we don't need to interview Michael Grant anymore. We just read um, the interview in the back. Uh, guys, my uh, my version of Even Adam does not have that. Yeah, I didn't see that or I would have read it. What? I, I don't I know. I think you're just making excuses. I don't believe you. <laughs> We're face. looking at her. I, I just read it. I finished it this morning. Ain't too. nothing there, man. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you said he, he wrote the Adam sections. Ad Adam's portion of the book, Adam being the, uh, the boy that she creates. Solo. Uh, solo, solo. Solo. Okay. It doesn't mention anything about Adam. All the question says is Eve's viewpoint was written by Catherine Applegate, while Solo's chapter is written by her husband, Michael Grant. Okay. Okay, so we know that much. The book's like 50 50. Are yeah. they married? Because they have different last names. They've, they've been married for about 34 years. But they decided to keep separate last names. Well, those. They, or are those just their writing names? In modern times, some women decide that they want to stick with their identity. Mm. Well, that would not fly here in Nashville. That's, not too, fly. that's I mean, too progressive for me. That's the way it is with my wife and I. However, uh, she gets actually a lot of comments. One, and I, and I kid you not, one quote was, he let you do that? Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Nashville. Keeping it real. Well, Colin, yep. I mean, you really are a stand-up guy for, you know, for, for allowing that. Uh, so, Colin, you also let her out of the kitchen sometimes? Yeah, and I also let her put on shoes. And she's not <laughs> currently pregnant. Do you let her? Do you let her vote? Can she vote? I mean, I know yeah, she can, I mean, but do you let her? That's the law now. That's the law now. But you, you choose. You choose her candidates for her, right? So she doesn't have to worry about well, making yeah. those tough decisions. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, women can't think for themselves. So anyway, uh, even at right? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just agreeing with all you guys. All my thoughts are just, just following the men folk. So. Oh totally. God. I, I also want to point out this that is making my skin crawl, guys. <laughs> I've been part of this government experiment for a while. Well, not really an experiment to give Nerdy Show, you know, some some tax relief. If as long as they teach me how to read, obviously we've been going over this every every book club. Uh -huh. So when I first saw this book, I was like, oh my god, there's how many pages? There's like 300 pages. Look how many pages there are. But then you open it and you realize it's like size 15 font and like double space. So really, it's like a hundred pages worth of a novel. And you can read this book in one night if you really it, it, try. It like is, six hours tops. It is a young adult novel. I guess it's... It's like a short story to it's, me. It's meant for early, mid-high schoolers. I'm not really sure, honestly, how the young adult uh, industry breaks this down or, or decides how they can uh, market to which audience. Because it's not like a novel, technically. Yeah. But I mean, just like Animorphs, uh, there's a certain amount of uh, extreme violence... And in this one, there's the added bonus of sexual tension, which was mm. mostly absent from Animorphs. Um, which is a shame. I've never read them, but I hear it's a shame. There's nothing more than a, a guy turning into an elephant and still having that sexual frustration while he's an elephant. Just wanted to shove it in something like an exhaust pipe. Yeah, man. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me you read that shit. There was no sexual well, we're, tension we're in it. We're talking about even Adam okay, right now. We'll okay. get to Animorphs later. And even Vegimorphs. Uh, so o overall thoughts on the book. I mean, obviously, I... I was really into it. I liked the uh, I liked the fast read. I found it. I couldn't stop reading. I I just didn't want to put it down. I mean, even though, you know, I guess I don't have a problem with reading young adult works. I have no problem reading young adult books because that's my level. And obviously, I mean, there were no pictures. I think maybe there was one of the author at the end, but whatever. You know, I I still got through the book, which means it must have been good, even though there were no pictures. And the other thing. I really did like the book. It was fast paced and it was interesting to read, but there were there were some things I didn't like about it. Uh-huh. Uh one was obviously the constant sexual tension. And I was like, the people who are writing this book, what are they in their thirties, their forties? And I honestly don't know their age, but they're writing it. it's like every scene she's like 
And then he bent over. I'm staring at his butt. Am I staring at his butt? Oh, God, stop staring at his butt. And it's like every page there's something like that. And it's just like, I kind of understand she's coming of age. She's at that. She's kind of at that age where, where you're going to do shit like that. But it got annoying to me. And then the constant, I don't know if you can call it product placement, really, where he's just like, and then I wanted a Coke, but there was like a Starbucks over there. And it was like, they, they kept name dropping like companies. I don't know if that was on I, I, I think that's or, something they've been doing since Animorphs. It's something they just, I guess, do to just keep it real to it, keep it and in it a is, cultural it's mindset very real that way because you're like oh i i know that i do that too you know it's not just like generic coffee place it's an actual name of a brand so it was weird but i you know i got through it yeah i felt that same way about mentioning all of the like san francisco landmarks where it was like oh i'm looking at the you know the richmond bridge and i'm looking at angel island and all of this stuff and i was like mm-hmm. oh, okay yeah, i get it those were real those are real places but it just seemed i don't know to me sometimes forced like this is the setting we are in san francisco i'll prove it to you by naming every single major major landmark that is in that city. I also have to agree with that, and I also have to take it one further. Um, to me, I have no idea where this was clearly set in terms of timeline. Um, yeah, I got that too. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of discussion about this being, you know, you, it's not outright said that it's in the future, but it's in the future, right? The yeah. USB then, hard drive, It's 15 right? minutes yeah. in the future. Right, it's in the future, but... Because it, it talks about how, like, oh, you like to go retro with, like, an iPad and all that kind of stuff. They did talk about, like, having to go old-fashioned and finding a computer with a USB port. And I was like... Yeah, that was weird I was like, what too. year is this in? I mean, like, <laughs> everything has a USB port. But they were still mentioning websites like Reddit and, and Imager or however you, yeah, you pronounce it. Yeah, that was another it. part where I was like, oh, wow. So you, you, you looked up some popular web website, which might get things to the news faster. Yeah, we're gonna have to yeah. ask him the hard questions about. I don't know the, fu- the the future. You know the the future stuff in this seemed weird because it was like the future, but not the future. So I couldn't really quite understand what year we were in or not mm-hmm. year or whatever. You know what I mean? I just couldn't. It wasn't clear, and that's actually one of the main things that I had with this book is that a lot of things weren't necessarily <laughs> clear. Um, a lot of the writing for me wasn't clear. Um, specifically, even at the end when some when the bad guy gets taken care of. I didn't actually understand how I couldn't picture in my mind and read that page over and over and over again of how she was riding a thunderbolt into the. (laughs) Oh, yes. I did the same thing. But I couldn't understand how it was that she was climbing so high. And yet it It was was like a giant tree sculpture. They kind of explain it. But then she was able to get on it. And yet it was able it was at the height of him when it stabbed him in the brain. So I was just confused. It, it, it was unclear for me a lot of the writing in the book. Right. And I also so. liked how there was no repercussions of that, of somebody dying. Like, yeah. there was no, like, oh, I feel really <laughs> bad. This really sucks. It was like, oh, well, that happened. Just sweep it under the rug. Man, no big deal. See, I, I assume that's the most realistic part because it's like a billion dollar kind of pharmaceutical company. You want someone dead, no one's going to find out about it. It's in their own building. They're just going to throw them in a vat of acid somewhere on floor like two and you're never going to hear of it. No one's going to miss yeah, him. The person who did the killing, I would imagine, I don't know, would have some kind of like, uh, holy shit, I just killed a guy like moment. But there was Not- none of that. It was, let's have sex in a shower. Done. <laughs> that, that was the best part. <laughs> hey, that was literally the last line of the book. Hey, kid, let's go to the shower and have sex. Okay. <laughs> word for word. Last <laughs> sentence in the book. That's, um, that's it's not, not that's actually not accurate. true. But, but it does kind of end that way. And then you're like, we're, okay, next page. Oh, wait. Uh, there was, <laughs> I, I guess since we've, we've jumped ahead to uh, Spoilers. Cr- critiques of the ending, uh, it did seem like it had uh, a very open ended uh, 
ending that I doesn't necess- it doesn't beg a follow-up uh, book, really, but it also it didn't have any moment of and this happened and like, it, there was no there was no character resolution after all the trauma of everything that just happened. Thunderbolt. Also, who names someone Maddox? Maddox. There are people named that. That was just like a I've, I've crazy a website. <laughs> Somebody um, who's also calls their child evening. Yeah. yeah so it's like, what's my favorite time of the day? Oh, evening. That's what we should call our child. <laughs> you should always name your child after where they were conceived, like Volkswagen or like Hudson Dam. <laughs> I don't know why people conceive there. I just or Elmer's it's, crab it's where you It's where you do it and get pregnant, not where they're born, but like where you've done it to get to, to get the child to be born. You know, you know right. Well, I mean, it's an amazingly boring tour, so, you know, I guess you got to spice it, spice it up. So. Mm-hmm. But also overall impressions, besides, you know, some of the flaws, I still really enjoyed the book. I mean, I started it and finished it. I didn't really put it down that much. And it was it, the pace kept up, you know, pretty well for me. I mean, give it, I could give it that. I mean, like, I, I, I could say that I liked reading it. I didn't hate reading it. I'm, but it's not a good example of quality young adult fiction for me. Really? Um, yes, uh, there is the themes that are um, explored in this book are not fully explored in the way in which I would expect them to be. You know, there's a lot of philosophical implications about playing God and all that kind of stuff, but we don't get any depth of what that is like. And then also when Adam, the created boy, is created, I feel like that's also a misstep considering we don't really get to know anything about him. And that was one of the most exciting things. Mm-hmm. You're leading up to this giant thing in this book of Adam being created. And then we have him and he's pretty and we get even uh, inside of his brain with his own chapters. And yet I never fully understood where his character was going, what his motivations were. It just seemed like a, v- a plot vehicle and it was never as a character he was never fully fleshed out and i thought that that was a missed opportunity because i thought that that was a really interesting idea that they were exploring with this brand new human that was created not as a baby but at 18 years old and he was brand new with uh, implanted memories and implanted experience and etc and we didn't get to really experience him at all and i feel like that is i i feel like that's a missed opportunity well it did the book did suffer from a very abbreviated third act i felt and that's about yeah. as soon as mm-hmm. as soon as adam enters the picture the the pacing of the book just Speeds goes on rapidly. overdrive yeah i mean even when she's creating him and which i really liked that whole process and, and visualizing it like oh i'm creating this brain and you know this face and these eyes and like oh they need yeah, blood support. Cool. i liked it because yeah. i pictured kind of like building a person like a video game which is what it was but then like you know, a few scenes later, it's like, and then I just threw everything together and he was done. I was like, wait, what? I wanted to know how you did that. But right. 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 Yeah. And, so it's yeah. basically like I got I got the brains. I got the eye and the face done, arms and legs and, you know, digestive system. That's nothing mm-hmm. compared to the rest. Yeah. Of and there, there were a few there were a few parts of the book where I do wish it was longer. You know, like the whole philosophical playing God thing should have been played up more. And perhaps I guess they didn't because they thought it wouldn't appeal that much to like a young reader audience if they went too much in it like they would be too opinionated or just too sophisticated or complicated but but i think it would have been a lot better if they went into that and also there wasn't really resolution with the main character's mother she never matured well i mean there wasn't resolution period there was yeah it was a little bit at the end but like there she had no she didn't develop like emotionally either get worse or better like she was just like yep she was cool the whole time 
you didn't change even when threatened with like a gun and at the end just like yep i'm still the same person like nothing has changed nothing has happened i don't really for you know i'm not sorry for anything i've done or i'm going to do the end like i said i enjoyed the book but it was very fluffy you know it was a very fluffy read which it's is very light which is completely reading. fine mm-hmm. it was that's completely fine um but i just I, I expected more from it being from this team who i really really love and also the fact of some of the concepts that they were dealing with overall though i, I enjoyed it overall uh we got two uh comments one is from our very own uh tony who unfortunately couldn't be with us for this recording he uh, he says let me preface this by saying that the Animorph series is one of my favorite book series of all time. It taught me things like the difference between a parasite and a symbiotic relationship, and why red-tailed hawks are freaking awesome. As a series, it elevated what I was used to reading into a sci-fi war I could picture myself fighting. With that in mind, even Adam brought me right back to where I was when I first read of the Andalites and Viziers and Yurks and Teenager Problems. The storytelling is crisp, uh, fast-paced, the humor is topical and fresh, and the characters feel real within the first few paragraphs of, of existing. Eve's plight is grounded in her relationship with her mother, who remains an enigmatic figure for the majority of the book. I don't know where I'm going with this, and I'm sure the rest of the cast will be a tad more articulate with what they have to say, so I'll leave it to them. Just let me say that I heartily recommend this book, uh, Genetics, Family, Science, and Art, Strange but Compelling Bedfellows. Back to you, Cap. Yeah, I can't be more articulate than that. Sorry. (laughs) But but the thing about the characters is, like, they were all... Every single character, I felt, was too unbelievable. Even Solo was perfect. I mean, he's like... He, like the beginning of the book, you think he's this dumb surfer dude, and it's all an act. And you find out like, he's this elite hacker, and he knows people from Anonymous, and he can get in and out of buildings and delete security cameras. It's like, there's nothing he can't do, and he's right. just perfect. Yeah, he has no flaws, except that he just doesn't look as good as Adam. That's it. He has no flaws whatsoever. He's just perfect, and everything is an act, so he can get what he wants. So I don't mean to be dissing the book yeah. so much, but everyone's just, how they start is really how they finish. Uh, Eve develops. Does she? I mean, besides the one, besides she always wants to like do a boy, and then she finally gets to that point. I mean, it's not really development. I right. Mean, for- I mean, so sort of the way that I felt. I mean, I did really enjoy the book too. But one of the things that I struggled with was after she finds out that you know she's a mod and she's been genetically modified to be this you know Wolverine esque healing factor, she suddenly wants to go and create Adam to keep working on it, create her own genetic experiment. And to me, that seems a little strange and contradictory. Like Mm -hmm. she's totally freaking out that she's been genetically modified in some some small way, but all of a sudden she's totally okay and even finds solace in creating another person and doing something that's way different than what was done to her. I guess she she thought it was a simulation at the beginning. Yeah. But as soon as she finds out, she's like, no way, this is awesome. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, it's like yeah, no, kind of no like no thinking of the ethical considerations like holy shit this guy is really hot it's who i created let's make out and then she's just like well you know what like mother like daughter and you're like oh yeah. okay they were going that route cool yeah <laughs> so uh yeah. joe barda on the forums uh because if you read along these books with us you can also let us know what you think on the nerdy show forums as you finish the books he said um he struggled with the intended audience for the book and he he realized quickly that it was not him he enjoyed lots of the ideas of the book, but wished that it was written towards an adult audience and that it was about 100 pages longer at the very least. I could agree with that. I well, mean, so I wonder if the book kind of suffers in a way from trying to fit that that young adult genre. And I wonder, I don't have too much experience in reading young adult, although what I did enjoy from this perspective is that it was very quick and I can easily fit it into a schedule or into a plane ride and be done with it. Oh, yeah. You can read um, this in like six hours. I think. Yeah, it's fantastic. But I wonder if it's kind of this other phenomenon of Animorphs was written in a time when we were younger and kids' attention spans are so much shorter now 
you know, with, with iPads and video games. And so I wonder if you have to really dumb it down, not to use those words exactly, I guess, but to make it simpler for people to stay engaged and stay interested. Yeah, I mean, I feel the book was good, but it could have been amazing if they if it was longer, if they went into more detail about the characters and about the underlying themes. I mean, that's really it. If they just made it longer and described more of what was actually happening with the characters in that, I think it would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Also, if it was pitched as a series, like the, uh, the, the hook for any publishing house is, oh, can this be, you know, a trilogy of books at least? You if, see, I thought this was standalone. I didn't yeah. know it was like issue one, technically. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't know for sure that there would be more, but if it was pitched as a series, that actually could have been something that hurt it so in the long run. I'm as not far sure. as we know, there could be, the second book could be dealing with all the implications of every, like, honestly, <laughs> the first book could be the intro and the second book could be like, the shit hits the fan, everything that happened in the first book, this, these are the consequences now. And I think that could be really interesting. And we could even try to grill, like, drill them on that or grill them or whatever the fuck word is that we use. And, and see if he can give us some leaked we, we info. Can, Brandon, we can drill him and grill him. Drill him and grill him. <laughs> Just like my women. <laughs> drill him and grill him. Oh. Well, you got to season them from the inside. And the only way to do that is with the drilling. <laughs> with, <laughs> and with an apostrophe above it. The drilling. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, the, yeah. Uh, so, uh, did anybody uh, read the prequel chapter that's available online? Uh, it's no, called, because you didn't tell me that was a thing. It's called Life Sucks, Then You Die. I agree with that, though. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it uh, it's it's interesting. It's sort of uh, it takes place a couple years before uh, the start of the book. And I, I just it doesn't necessarily add anything new, but it's more time spent with the characters and it's sort of an interesting window into Eve's life before all of this happens. Hmm. I'm just so she's just like a rich schoolgirl hanging out with her slut girlfriend, uh, which we didn't mention yet, by the way, specifically. Uh, Eve dealing with a quandary over a boy whose nose she broke for trying to kiss her. Oh. They mention that in the book, don't they? I yeah, think they, they mention yeah, it in one yeah. scene. What's her friend's name? I forget. Ainslin? 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 I, I had no oh, idea. I thought it was Ainslin. Ainslin. Ainslin? That's what I thought, yeah. Ainslin. A-I-S-L-I-N. Who dates Aislin, a drug yeah. dealer. Yeah. And wants to and do that never, well, Okay, all right. Uh, thank you about the <laughs> drug dealer thing. Here's the thing. Uh, once again, uh, 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 these characters, okay, these characters <laughs> in the book, the characters in the book seemed relatively stereotypical to me overall. However, the, this, you know, this Aislinn girl was interesting, um, but that whole thing with the drug dealing boyfriend and all that kind of stuff never gave us anything. There was no purpose to that other than making Solo look like a badass at some point, but everything else, that whole tangent of us needing to know about her boyfriend bringing a drug dealer and the fact that he got shot in the stomach and then they go to the hospital and, uh, and then that, the people who shot him go to the hospital it. and talk and like screw with yeah. them. And oh yeah. And they want more money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, the whole wanting more money thing. And I was just like, Okay, but I really wanted to be like, yes, this is going to be the twist that brings everything around and they happen to be blah, blah, blah. No, it didn't do anything. And I was just like, okay. You know what? I was going to say, I think we're missing the point of the entire book. I think we're looking in the wrong direction. I think they wrote this entire book for one simple thing. And it's so you would understand that people never learn. And that's the entire thing you should take from this book. I think maybe (laughs) they wrote all the characters this way because technically... It's very realistic because people most of the time do not learn. And in these same situations, I think, I think it, it works very well. I think, that, <laughs> I think that is what they're trying to tell us. People go back yeah. to their bad boyfriends. Uh, people end up like their parents. 
uh, people, despite what they say, are still going to do, you know, the opposite. It's just they don't learn right. from their mistakes. Right. And you can see that repeatedly in this book. I think that is the theme of the book, Cap, <laughs> right there. <laughs> well, well, I have to ask As something that I can't reiterate enough, for all the problems that, uh, that m- m- you may have found with Eve and Adam, uh, Michael Grant's standalone book, which is meant for adult audiences, as best I can tell by all the, the cuss words and violence in it, Berserk, it is everything you liked about Eve and Adam jacked up into it's honestly i wish i'd suggested we read berserk instead it's so good (laughs) and there's at least a well this could be your third book in a row you can suggest no 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 no. it's Um, 100 pages longer at least i uh i really i really did enjoy reading even adam it was like it was it was refreshing how how quick and fun it was uh berserk is about a secret war between two corporations between uh, swarms of nanomachines piloted by uh by people in front of computer screens and people piloting genetically engineered nano creatures called biots, um, which they have permanently linked through them uh, via their consciousness. They, uh, the, the hazard of which is if a biot dies, you experience it yourself and inevitably go mad. That sucks. It, is a, uh, it presents the microbial world of the human body as a nightmare landscape uh, where... All of the intricacies of, I mean, you know, you see, if you see blood flowing, it's like a, a river of weird discs hovering together and like all the parasites on the human body you're plainly aware of and maybe have to fight to get to where you want to go. Uh, it's about uh, the, these two warring factions that the nanites are uh, being controlled, the nanobots are being controlled by a, uh, a corporation called Armstrong Fancy Gifts. Uh, that, <laughs> Excuse me. That it, it's, it's, a, it's a cover. Um, <laughs> And wow. It's, it's these two uh, grotesque conjoined twins who want to unite the world by destroying the global governments. Were they created by Spiker biopharmaceuticals? <laughs> it, it does feel like it could be in the same world as even Adam. Um, Was, it's, okay, so uh, is it related to Inner Space starring Martin Short and Dennis Quaid? <laughs> it, is, it is not because Inner Space is all like, look at the magic of the human body. And this is all like, the human body is a fucking horror show. No nah, man, remember when that guy was drinking? And he had to put a little cup outside and drink it because he wanted a drink. That was yeah. great. Inner space, son. Yeah. Osmosis Jones, man. <laughs> uh, and uh, a fun little animorphs moment, actually. Uh, there's not, an animorphs moment. Uh, yeah. There's um, uh, there's a man who's been uh, who's been manipulated to um, to give some secrets to a fella, and uh, he is a Scientologist. Uh, he's been actually been rewired to think that he has to give this information to somebody, but he, he believes an alien speaking to him, and that alien's name is Lord Elfangor. Uh, when- ah! <laughs> okay, guys, I've never read Animorphs. Please tell me. What does that mean? Well, he's a prominent... He's the first Sandalite. Yeah, he's a prominent character in Animorphs. All right. Ah, I get it now. So, uh, so that, was, that was fun. A little, nice little Easter egg for, uh, for all the old school Animorphs fans. Well, now I feel left out. Thank you. As soon as you start enjoying the book, go ahead and order the follow-up book, Berserk Reloaded, because... Uh, Man, I didn't, I didn't know to do that, and uh, it, it took me too far too long to get it in the mail afterwards. Is it out? So it's, oh, it's out. It's out. Okay. It's, it's a three-part series, and part two is, is out. And of course, well, Nerdy Show Book Club, if you, like the, if you like the sound of any of the books that we're talking about in this episode, you can buy those books through the links on this episode's page, and we actually get a percentage of it uh, through our Amazon associate affiliation. So uh, no extra money from you, but it helps support the show, so... Let me just throw that in there. I'll probably mention that again, but uh, it, it does help. Well, you don't have to take his word for it. 
Yeah, uh, it, it was it was it's really good. Lots of adventure, lots of fucking gruesome shit. And uh, I noticed the book is called Berserk, but it's spelled B Z R K. Any significance, or did you just shorten it for the cover? Uh, that's it's the name of the it's the name of the group. That's what they call themselves. Oh, okay. It's like Dead Mouth Five. Yeah, yes, <laughs> it's like Dead Mouth Five. My God, Berserk! It could be that you check just, it out. You're not so much a young adult anymore, Cap. You've you've grown out of it. You're, well, yeah, you're up but, to adult level. Yeah, but Brandon, though, you don't have to be a young adult to enjoy young adult fiction. Young adult fiction does not necessarily have to be quote unquote dumbed down. Oh, or, I understand. I, well, I, I read not philosophical or not. You know what I mean? Like you just spoke about Lyriel with it is a is a um, that whole series. Was well, I just a, read the entire thing again adult. too. And you love that series. Oh yeah, and Legend of the and, Guardians is young adult. Obviously, the best young adult series ever written. By man. Right. By man. You also have books like The Giver and, you know. A Wrinkle uh, in Time. Yeah, A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, yeah. a, a Wrinkle in Time is a young adult book, and that is like hard science fiction, you know, that they deal with. It's, it's insane. Like some people have difficulty understanding what is being conveyed in that book. And uh, I actually never read it, it. But it's written, for, it's written for kids. Just because you're writing for young adults does not mean that it has to be a poorly written book. And that is not what I'm saying about even Adam. It was not poorly written. It just could have been done better. I'm just saying in terms of, I'm just saying in terms of a defense against young adult books in general, because I read a lot of young adult fiction. And now a reading of the first chapter of Eve and Adam by Brandon Gerson. I'm thinking of an apple when the streetcar hits and my leg severs and my ribs crumble and my arm is no longer an arm, but something unrecognizable, wet and red. An apple. It was in a vendor stall at the farmer's market off Powell. I'd notice it because it was so weirdly out of place. A defiant crimson Macintosh in an army of dull green granny smiths. When you die, and I realize this as I hurtle through the air like a wounded bird, you should be thinking about love. If not love, at the very least you should be counting up your sins or wondering why you didn't cross at the light, stupid. But you should not be thinking about an apple. I register the brakes screeching and the horrified cries before I hit the pavement. I listen as my bones splinter and shatter. It's not an unpleasant sound. More delicate than I would have imagined. It reminds me of a bamboo wind chimes on our patio. A thicket of legs encircles me. Between a bike messenger's ropey calves, I can just make out the 30% off today only sign at Lady Foot Locker. Yay! I should be thinking about love right now, not apples, and certainly not a new pair of Nikes. And then I stop thinking altogether, because I'm too busy going, ah, and screaming. So at the very least, if uh, you want a quick read that's a lot of fun, you can read even Adam, but, uh, you know, don't take my word for it. It's time we cut to a track. This one comes from a special compilation for the Festival Frequency 3.0. It's taking place January 7th of uh, 2014, and it's a chip music festival in Los Angeles. It's its third year, and it has over 20 artists performing. So the festival's actually created a compilation album with some tracks, including some new debut tracks for the entire roster of artists. A link to where you can check out the festival, and also where you can check out this compilation. Off the artist sampler, we're going to play Neo Tokyo Sunset by Slime Girls. (laughs) 
right, guys, we're back. And with us on the phone is author Michael Grant, the guy behind Berserk, uh, co-author of Even Adam and Animorphs, and uh, author of the Gone series. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on, man. Thanks. Thank you. Happy to be here. So uh, the, the thing leading us to this interview was that we read Even Adam, but um, also in, uh-huh. the, in the time leading up to this episode, I've also taken in Berserk, um, and many of us on the show were big fans of Animorphs growing up. So suffice it to say, we've got a lot of questions for you. Well, good. I want to thank you all for uh, helping me to buy my car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, whip some questions on me. I'm all set. All righty. I've got a scotch in my hand, and I'm in my hotel room, so we're all ready. I guess we'll take this in chronological order. Uh, First of all, upon reading Even Adam, I uh, I cracked open the dust jacket here, and it said, together as K.A. Applegate, uh, Michael Grant and Catherine wrote the very popular Animorph series. Now, that was news to me, because on every website I'd ever seen, and growing up, I always thought that Catherine was K.A. Applegate. Turns out, it's both of you. Well, let me get, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the short bio of our, our writing career. Because there were, by the time we did Animorphs, he'd already written like 50 other books, 50 or 60, I don't know. You know, it's, it's hard to keep track of. So, With uh, that volume, yeah. As I mentioned yeah. earlier on, before the formal beginning of proceedings, I mentioned that we had moved all around the country. And at some point, we're in Ocean City. And I was head waiter at a restaurant called uh, the White Marlin, now out of business. Not my fault, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but... Um, and we were also managing kind of a rundown piece of shit uh, property for people, you know, come there. You know, Ocean City, it's a beach town where people come from Baltimore and Washington. So they go from a uh, wintertime population, about 5,000 people, to a quarter of a million during the height of the summer. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of jobs for waiters and there's uh, there were jobs for people, you know, who looked responsible, which oddly enough we did, um, to run property. So... But this is kind of the point where Catherine first said uh, we needed to like do something with our lives. And at this point, I'm probably you know 30 years old or so, uh, <laughs> so it was definitely time. And actually, what she said was, "It's time to put down the bong and get a career." <laughs> and then she added some uh, some crazy shit about uh, you know how we could like have kids. And of course, I assumed that was some horrible joke on her part. It turned out, no. She was so I said, well, okay, what are we doing? And she said, well, we're going to write. And I said, okay, great. What are we going to write? I don't know. So we thought about that for a while because the decision to become a famous writer actually requires you then to write something, which was kind of the fly in the ointment there for us. So by the time we actually started writing, we were living in Cape Cod where we were running, uh, running. we were a cleaning service. It's just the two of us. And we used to clean homes during the day and offices at night. And uh, oddly enough, I was not uh, thrilled with his career path, and neither was <laughs> Catherine. <laughs> so um, then I was like, okay, fuck it, time to get serious. Let's see about becoming famous writers. So the first thing we wrote, the first book we wrote was called um, The Midas Touch. It was a Harlequin romance. I actually have a copy of it right here. No, <laughs> oh, sweet Christ, really? Yeah. <laughs> Do, you <have> light- <laughs> Do, you- Do you have a lighter? Uh, <laughs> it's, oh, it's, pretty, it's going nowhere. It's probably pretty. Fl- it's pretty flammable by this point. I would guess. Oh yeah, it, its pages are crisp. <laughs> ready to I'll spark that baby up and warm your hands over. So that was the first thing we wrote, and we thought, oh great, now we're okay. This is cool. We quit our job. You know, we quit cleaning toilets. And last night of work, uh, I had a place called Packaging Industries where we used to clean the offices at night. Uh, I took a picture of Catherine bent over a toilet with a toilet brush, cleaning it. She you know, took a Polaroid, and she took one of me 
cleaning out the ladies used tampon bin. And we <laughs> thought, well, okay, great. That's it. We're out of here. Now we're, now we're rich. We got $5,000, which I think is what we got paid at that point and um, moved up to Portland, Maine. Because our response to pretty much everything is to move. So we moved to Portland, <laughs> Maine and uh, quickly ran out of the money. And we couldn't get Harlequin to respond uh, quickly enough. In other words, we couldn't get turnover time. Mm. So, you know, you can live on 5000 bucks as long as you do it a lot and do it repeatedly. And Harlequin was just so goddamn slow. I mean, it just took <laughs> months. And we were pretty fast writers even then. So we wrote a second one for them and got another $5,000 hit. And by this point, I'm driven back to waiting tables. And Catherine, I think, was, uh, she was delivering flowers at that point. And um, I was also writing the restaurant reviews for the local newspaper under a pseudonym because I was also working in restaurants. So it was kind of a conflict of interest there. Um, and, I was, and, I was, and as a reviewer, I was a son of a bitch. <laughs> um, especially to people who I thought didn't treat waiters properly. So it was like my little kink. So in any case, we do that for a while, and then we realized, well, we're not really making a living at this. So she found out about Sweet Valley Twins, and we started ghostwriting for Sweet Valley Twins. And uh, I guess she'd written like one of those, and then moved to... <laughs> <laughs> Shit, where's that next? I must have been in Richmond, Richmond, Virginia. We were there for like a year and started doing more and more twins. Then we got Disney work, you know, doing spinoffs of Mermaid and uh, Aladdin and uh, even wrote some Duck and wrote some Mickey Mouse and all that kind of stuff. You know, the, the little spin books. Yeah. And we were like, just to make a living and sort of moved to Tennessee, to Johnson City, Tennessee. I had literally no idea what the hell we were thinking. Um, <laughs> the whole time we're in Johnson City, all we do is drive around in the car going, oh my God, there's got to be more here. There's got to be more here. They're, they're hiding the rest of the town. There wasn't anything more there. So we lasted there about six months. And um, by that point, we're doing a lot of ghosting. So we're writing Sea Valley Twins. We're writing a lot of, I mean, a lot of Sea Valley Twins. Catherine thinks we did 17. I think we did 19. <laughs> um, and we were already getting kind of arrogant about it, which is bizarre given who we were and where we were. But, you know, the packaging deal is they send you an outline and then you write a book. So we would get these outlines. And I think the first one we actually wrote. And then from then on, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, that's, a, that's crap. You give me an outline. that's about four chapters here. So we're just going to make up our own stuff. So we just kind of started becoming more and more the go-to people for that. And we were writing a, a series or part of a series called Girl Talk and then the Disney stuff. And we're like, okay, so we're doing, we're doing okay now. We're making a living. And then with the same packager, which is now called Alloy, and they said, we want to do some teen series. There was a series out called Freshman Dorm at that time. And it was one of the kind of the precursors of YA. Oh, okay. Said, yeah, well, we can do that. So we wrote a series called Ocean City, which, you know, we've been in Ocean City, so we used that. And that was four books that we did, and then we handed it back to the packager, and we wrote the four launch books. We created it mm-hmm. and handed it back to the packager, and I think they spun out of like another 10 books with ghostwriters. And then we did something called Boyfriend's Girlfriends, which has since been reissued as Making Out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that title. And we wrote the first eight books of that. They you know, created that series, and then that got spun out. I think they did like another dozen of those damn things. Oh, this would be when we were in Sarasota. So we're like making a living. And we're doing okay. And we got this last YA series called Summer. 
And we've just started that, and that's going to reissue this Beach Blondes and some other damn thing. I don't know. It's on the <laughs> shelves in some bookstores now. So we're cranking along, and we've written like 50 or 60 books by this point. I think at that point, yeah, we we started writing a Christian series. <laughs> it's terrible. Wow. We're, we're actually, we're both atheists. But we been a Christian as a kid. I've got to read this. So, uh, yeah, it was called, it was a spinoff of the TV series Christy, which was itself a spinoff of a book called Christy. And it was about a missionary who goes to Appalachia. So it was pretty grim stuff. And we did that under a pseudonym, but they paid well. So we're like, we had a, we had a moment of moral qualm there. We, I remember us sitting in a parking lot of a shopping center going, should we take this? I don't know, man. It's like 11 grand a book. These idiots are willing to pay us. And so, you know, but yeah, but we don't really give a fuck about any of this. And I know, but I'll make up the Bible lessons. It'll be great. So we did that. And, and I honest to God do not remember how many books we did of that. Probably like, I don't know, like six or something. And at this point, we're living, like I say, in Sarasota in a garden apartment complex, going out at night to walk the cat. And Catherine just, had just had it. She was like, I'm down to the series. You know, I don't want to write another goddamn series no matter what. I said, look, we can't quit because we're not R.L. Stein, which was our goal at that point to become R.L. Stein, you know, because he had goosebumps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's when we had this nice conversation where I said, you know, Kay, because I call her Kay, listen, if you could just write anything you want, forget about marketing and everything else, what would you write? She said, I would really have this idea of putting kids into the heads of animals somehow. You know, not like a Disney animal, but like a real animal. I said, well, that's the science fiction premise. Uh, so we'll, we'll need some aliens. <laughs> so <laughs> about, uh, about a week later, we had put together a series pitch for it. We'd written like three, the first three cha- sample chapters. And in the pitch, this is the beginning of our use of like these complicated pitch documents. I'd written, uh, I'd drawn the pictures to go with it, like illustrations by hand. I'm not a great artist, but you know, like the New York ship. And uh, the Andalite ships, and, you know, the various aliens, we had all this shit work out. Big old, like, series Bible, basically. Yeah. And piled it all in a box and a pitch letter that just said, you know, with blah, 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 it's like three paragraphs. And then it concluded with, this is a cool idea. <laughs> and with a, with a bunch of books we've written, which is so not the way you do this. And we put it all in a box and mailed it to Gene Fywell, who was running Scholastic. And a couple weeks later, she writes back and goes, basically, yeah, it's a cool idea. And signs us up. And from, let's put it this way, in terms of cars, let's, let's judge this in terms of cars. <laughs> We've been driving cars that were so bad. You know, Obama talks about how, you know, uh, Mrs. Obama talks about how they had a car where they could see the road right through the door. Mm-hmm. We could see the road through the floor. And we could see, you know, there are cars where we were miserably poor most of that time. We'd reached the point where we got our first new car which was a Taurus because somebody was dumb enough to give us credit. And we were like, yay, uh, here we are. And I'm 39 years old at that point. Get my first you know, car that isn't a piece of complete garbage. And so we were like, oh, okay, this, this is pretty good. We're doing great. And then Animorphs came and then Animorphs took off. Mm-hmm. You know, she's from a pretty much middle class background. You know, they always had a nice house. Dad worked for IBM. And I was an army brat with a screwed up family and, you know, broke pretty much forever and then suddenly overnight we were millionaires i mean it was like suddenly checks show up in the mail uh you know because royalties come out every six months right so uh-huh. there'd be checks we'd open it up and go hey look it's a check for two million dollars <laughs> just it was just ridiculous and then so to carry the car 
information forward. Suddenly, then we were able to walk into the Mercedes dealership and go, I'll take one of those and one of those, and we'll <laughs> pay cash. So it was like that bizarre, sudden transformation in our <laughs> lives. So that was that's where we were at, at that point. And Animorphs, we rode that wave for like five years, um, wrote the first uh, 24 books ourselves, wrote all the long-form books, the Megamorphs and the uh, Chronicles books ourselves. Ghosted out a bunch after between like 25 and uh, 52, I think 50, yeah, because 53, 54, we wrote ourselves. The two concluding books yeah. we wrote, which turned out not to be great, but <laughs> well, there it is. So, yeah, and we ghosted, and a lot of that you know, stuff is ghosted. A lot of people are like, well, you guys didn't actually write that. I'm like, dude, we wrote so much more of that than you guys will ever realize, because if you, you got to understand, these books, we were six months out from publication. Now, in publishing, generally, you're about a year out from pub. Um, from the time you send the book to your editor, you know, get it approved before it shows up on the shelf. We were half that distance, which means we were right up against the wall. If we ever failed to turn in a manuscript on time, it was like a domino effect. It was like you know, stopping the assembly line. Wow. So even when we had ghost, ghost writers, we didn't have either the, the skills or the knowledge to edit very well. And we didn't have any time. So we didn't have time to be sending it back to writers saying, here, you fix this. So I would just rip out large chunks of it and rewrite it myself or have Catherine rewrite it. So we actually wrote a substantial amount of that. It was funny. <laughs> we, did a, uh, we did a Reddit uh, AMA, said, you know, I and just made a comment in passing that probably all the ghostwriters you know, fucking hate us because we were, <laughs> we were brutal. You know, we we're brutal as editors. We didn't have time and we didn't know what we were doing. And when it came to editing, that's a whole separate job, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, former ghostwriters got on there and said, yeah. <laughs> 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 We thought it was hysterical. So we apologize. <laughs> you know, sorry, sorry about that. Um, oh, and but we but we also like grabbed random people we knew, like the girl who helped us um, take care of our son who'd been born. In the meantime, knew some guy I met <laughs> somewhere and said, "Here you go. Why don't you write a book?" Um, so there was a, there was a bit of that. It was, a, it was a kind of a sloppy process. And we were doing fourteen books a year of uh, Animorphs. And toward the end of Animorphs. We decided uh, we wanted to do something else, which was Everworld, and uh, had a 24-book contract for Everworld. And about halfway through that, we said, listen, these things are really hard to write. They're really long, and we can't keep up this you know, book a month pro- this book a month speed. We're, we're like, actually, we can't, even we can't do this. So uh, we said, we want to switch over and make it a middle-grade series, so hence Remnants came up. So that's, as so we did all that, and this kind of was just like this deluge of stuff. So at the same, all at the same time, we were writing Animorphs, starting to write Everworld, having our first kid, and becoming, you know, going, changing economic classes rather drastically. <laughs> it was a lot. So it's a lot of change going on all at once. That's insane. And yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, and Jake was born premature, so we were in the hospital for like a month and a half. I remember sitting there with what was then a laptop, I don't know, probably weighed 50 pounds in the <laughs> darkened waiting room at three o'clock in the morning while uh, Catherine was recuperating, you know, typing away on, I believe, Animals number 11, if I'm not mistaken. So in any case, all that happened. And then after that, we looked around and said, you know, that's, we've written 150 books and we're tired and we need to take some time off. So we did. And we took off, I don't know, like four years or something. I did, I did various things. She did various things. None of it useful or productive. Then finally, at, at, then at this point, we're in North Carolina. 
<laughs> because why not? And, um, <laughs> why not? You know, whatever. And decided, uh, yeah, it's time to get back to work. We pretty much pissed away all the money. So we should probably get back to work. She, she just started working on Home of the Brave. And I went, uh, we were sitting in our little room that we had together called it, we called it the parent trap because the kids weren't supposed to go in there. <laughs> in this case, just, no, I guess we had Julia too at that point. Yeah, both kids. They weren't supposed to come in. So we sat in the parent trap. And I said, listen, I got this idea. Rattled off to her in about 30 seconds. The idea for gone. And she said, stop everything else and do that. So that's what I did. And then gone came out and home of the brave came out. Everything that brings us more or less up to the present era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. So, <laughs> man, that is, that is, that is a tale. I think you do kind of <laughs> need an autobiography at this point. <laughs> in, in the works of yours that I've read, even Adam, uh, Animorphs, and Berserk, there's an, a very strong angle towards um, biology. Do either of you have a background in biological sciences? Nah. Are you kidding? Please. Uh, <laughs> Catherine's a, a plan, what they call Plan 2 at University of Texas. As a matter of fact, when I met her, she was just graduating from UT in Austin. And um, I'd actually been a, I was a street person not three months before that. I was living under a freeway overpass in Austin, having hitchhiked into town. <laughs> and finally got an apartment. And I've told this story many times, so I, I apologize if this is a repeat. But I was coming home. I finally got an apartment. It was a horrible little, you know, dump of an apartment with roaches everywhere. And I was coming home one day, and I looked, and I saw this girl in uh, the window of the apartment next to mine. And I have no idea why I did this or what motivated me or um, anything else. So I said, I don't know, but I got to go meet that girl. So I knocked on her door, and 24 hours later, we were living together. And we've been together for, what was it, 34 years now. That quick, I said, can I borrow a can opener? And she said, sure. And then I said, do you want to go have a beer? She said, sure. And thankfully, she kept saying, sure. (laughs) (laughs) And so one thing leading to another, and we ended up living together. She was there. So no background in anything. I'm Like I said, I dropped out of school like one day into 11th grade, and she had just gotten a plan two, which is some, you know, it's basically English. Call it an English major. So now when we, and this is the days before the internet, so like for Animorphs, we had probably 200 books lying around the house, field guides to animals and plants and that kind of stuff. So it was just it was just that. And that kind of faking, pretending to know something is so much easier with the internet. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's so very... Much so much less expensive, too. You don't need to go to school or study. Just Google that shit. No, I'm just... I, I've always just been interested in... You know, I'm not interested enough in science to pursue it, obviously, and I don't think I have the mind for it, honestly. Interested in it as a story generator. Interested in it for, for that reason. In addition to the, I guess, the, the biology themes, obviously you guys have been working in a teenage to uh, young adult frame of, of work for most of your careers. Mm-hmm. I, I, I imagine that's uh, it's kind of been an interesting... Uh, juggle of content. For example, as a kid, I'm, I remember just being awed by how completely violent Animorphs was. I know. You know, our theory on that is that um, because it was a monthly series, and actually it was more than monthly, because it was, you know, one a month plus the two long forms, you mm-hmm. know, the Megamorphs and the Chronicles. And our theory is that the editors just stopped reading about book four. <laughs> and so, no, <laughs> we don't think anybody was actually checking. So, like, when we got to the David plot and stuff, we were like, man, this is very, very dark shit here. And then said, yay, let's do that. <laughs> so we wrote something very... Uh, my attitude is create a premise, and once you've created a premise, commit to it, and then carry it forward with relentless logic, wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. And if that goes somewhere dark, then it goes somewhere dark. 
And if it doesn't, then fine. We kind of, I don't think I ever spent 10 minutes thinking about the, you know, is this right for the audience? I, I still don't. I, I never think about, you know, I, I, well, I won't say never, but I, I think about it in terms of marketing, obviously, you know, because mm-hmm. this is a business. But in terms of, like, should I write this? Is this appropriate for that age? I think that's just the stupidest question in the world. It, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get appropriate. <laughs> I don't understand what that means. It doesn't mean anything to me. I don't think it means anything to her. It doesn't mean anything to our kids. It's just the kind of word that, you know, adults come up with because they think it sounds good. <laughs> and they think they ought to be, you know, it's we a, ought to be caring about what this says. It's a pretty vague word. But we, we also knew at the same time, we were putting all kinds of stuff into Animorphs that um, we had no idea, by the way, at this point, whether fans, uh, we saw the sales figures, so we knew people were reading it. But we had no contact with fans. This is pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook. Fan mail, snail mail in those days was so voluminous that we never, we never touched it. We had Scholastic to send out form letters because it was just too much. We didn't, you know, we don't have a staff. It's just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to write 14 books, 14 animorphs a year, plus various and sundry other things, obviously, you know, we can't also spend five hours a day answering email. Yeah. So we were kind of out of touch. And we we're like, I have no idea whether anybody's getting any of this stuff, but okay, we're going to write it anyway. And only now uh, are we getting the letters from kids who are in college who were Animorphs kids, Animorphs fans. And they they write these extraordinary letters to us. I mean, it's just, it's really, it's kind of like, it's moving. And, you know, I hate to use a cliche word, but it's humbling at some level because they're telling you, I am the person I am today because of Animorphs. The, the biggest mistake that anybody can do is talking dumb to kids. And uh, Animorphs had balls. Uh, it was it was yeah. a very it was a very <laughs> ballsy adult series. The only thing that didn't happen on page was uh, was cussing and sex. And yeah, we was... kept the language clean. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And they were a little young to be screwing. Although by the end, you know, we kind of fudged the whole age issue so that you know by the end they were uh, you know theoretically sixteen. And we kind of just you know let it roll along and never never quite. Dotted that I across that T. You know, I mean, we kind <laughs> yeah. of fudged, you know, didn't talk about the whole age issue after the first couple. But we kind of assumed they'd gotten older, and we followed again followed the logic of the story. You know, because in the end, you have to follow the characters, and you have to follow the story, and the characters, and you know, evolve in certain ways. And sometimes they surprise you, and sometimes go in different directions, which. Again, sounds like one of those bullshit writer things to say, so I hate to do that. <laughs> but it is, it is true that after a while, your characters acquire so much momentum and so much depth that you can't really just suddenly turn them and go in a different direction. So you have to go where they have to go. For example, we knew well before probably that, uh, that Rachel was not going to come out of it. You know, <laughs> we kind of got that because that's, that's just the way that's where that was going. You know? Yeah, she uh, she charged in first. <laughs> that was that's who she was. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the way that I had to go. Yeah, you got you talked about how kind of you, like you were like flying by the seat of your pants. Was there anything in the books that when it ended up at the end that you felt like was a mistake? Oh, I'm sure there were. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure that, I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were mistakes. Matter of fact, you know, we we coined the term a kazu, a k a s u, k applegate screws up. <laughs> um, because, wow. you know, occasionally we hear from people going, hey, you know, this doesn't match that. And we go, yeah, you're right about that. All right. But <laughs> it was like, dude, you know, we're, we're writing a book every three weeks. You know, it's, it, shit, are we getting to keep the mythology 100% perfect? No, of course not. Of course, there can be, you know, mistakes made all the way through it. I don't actually remember them right now. 
Um, I had some in Gone too, which you know, much the same issue where people would go, "Hey, you know, you know what you started to do in book one and then didn't do in book two? And I'm like, "Yeah, I know, I fucked up." Um, <laughs> you know, it's just my, just my response because your alternative is to come up with some long, involved, you know, bullshit story about how you meant to do that all along, or else twist everything so that you somehow justify your error. And I would rather just go, you know, I'm a human being and um, I'm just some guy who types stories. And so I screwed that up. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, that's, that's kind of been our approach to that is just to admit that, yeah, we screwed things up. But in terms of like the complexity of the stories or, or the level of in, you know, violence or intensity of it, no, no, no regrets at all. Probably wouldn't have burned you through through so many animals so quickly. That's probably it. You know, because when you start out, you obviously you don't know it's going to be 54 regular books in the two side series. You have no concept when you start out, it's going to be 63 books. So it's like you set out on this trip and you think you're going six blocks, and it turns out, no, you're crossing the country. You're going to a 3,000 mile walk. So, oh, we should have brought more shoes. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of the thing, you know, and, and you get fairly desperate as you go along. And, you know, at that point it's like, Hey, I don't know what, it could be a starfish bucket, you know, I don't know why, but they have to be a starfish. You know, we never did do starfish, but like, that's Aww. an in, in joke between the two of us because an editor actually suggested starfish. And we said, you realize they're like an inch long and all they do is like squirm back and forth. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Action packed. <laughs> so it's not, not a lot we can do with that. <laughs> you know? Right now we're going to play an excerpt of a track by 9K1 called Lose Control. 9K1 are a rap outfit. They performed an early set at this past year's Nerdapalooza. I hadn't heard of them before that, actually. Most of the tracks are kind of vaguely nerdy party jams. And this one's no exception, but it is, however... Very special in that it is the only song I know with a direct Animorphs reference. Speaking of Nerdapalooza, it's been way, way, way too damn long, but we are in fact about to release all of the Nerdapalooza 2013 videos on our YouTube channel at Nerdy Show Live. Search Nerdy Show Live on YouTube, subscribe to that channel, and relive all the performances and interviews at Nerdapalooza 2013. So um, now we're going to play Lose Control, and this is from their forthcoming album, Lingo. Holding each other on the dance floor, dance floor. You and me, baby, about to change the world. The beat is bumping and we let it loose. Deep in the groove, now we're starting, starting to lose control.
even Adam reading it was kind of a return to that same feeling of a uh, of an of an Animorphs book, uh, particularly like a Megamorphs with the the alternating chapters and everything. Uh, we were just dis- we were discussing it, and towards the end, we we all felt like things didn't really resolve in full by the end of the book. Um, no, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> well, but but not enough is left open to do a sequel. So yeah. I'll I'll tell you the backstory on this. We okay. were actually, you know, we so at this point, by the time even Adam comes up, I'd done gone. And this is the first time I kind of stepped out and into the public and was a public person. So I was writing my own books under yeah. my own name. And mm-hmm. Catherine was writing her own because, like I said, we took this hiatus. And when we got back to it, when we got back to writing, you know, we talked about it and we said, well, we don't want to work together anymore. Because, frankly, you know, the energy we used to spend fighting over books, we now have to spend yelling at the children. So <laughs> things have changed a little bit. And she wanted to write literary, more literary stuff. And I wanted to write big, long, sweeping sagas. So when even Adam came up, it was because Gene Fywell, who you may remember, we sent the initial pitch for Animorphs to, yeah. and who changed changed our lives, let's face it. You know, Gene Fywell said yes, and that was, that's everything. And so when Gene Fywell said, do you guys want to work together again? We said, oh, God, no. Um, <laughs> and then she, then she said, yeah, but I'm Gene Fywell. We said, oh, okay. Uh, so... <laughs> She had, it was actually Jean's concept. She said, it's called, I want to call something uh, Adam and Eve. And we said, well, what's it about? And she basically said, you're the writer, you figure it out. I said, oh, okay. Well, first of all, we're going to make it Eve and Adam just because. <laughs> um, because, you know, Catherine wants to be a good feminist about it. And then we had to come up with an idea. So we had to kind of fit it into that, uh, into the pre-existing concept. We were not at that point thinking about a sequel. We were just thinking about a single standalone. So we wrote it, put it out there, and then it was time to, then Gene said, okay, I want you to do a sequel. And we killed ourselves trying to come up with ideas. But in the end, we said, this doesn't, we can't take this anywhere. Because I don't want to break the romantic couple up, and I don't really see enough story going forward on this. So Gene, sorry, we're going to give you your money back, but we can't do this. We just can't figure it out. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a mess. And we, we couldn't, you know, when you build a series, you build it a certain way. You build it to be a series, or at least, you know, I do typically. Mm. Um, and put some thought not into the plot, but into whether or not you got enough stuff, whether, you, whether you've packed heavy enough to make it a series. And with this, we just didn't see it. And she was like, well, Gene was, well, you could make it mostly about Adam. And we said, look, Adam is basically a character actor in this, in this scene. He's a guy who's funny and interesting in small doses, but he can't carry anything. The main couple weren't, we couldn't carry, we didn't think they had anywhere to go. So in the end, we just said, we came up with all kinds of bizarre, you know, take them to Hollywood, we'll do this, we'll do that, and it's just nothing. <laughs> and so we just, we just walked away. We said, no, we've got we to wrap this up, and this isn't going to work. Well, so there, that's so there will be no, no sequel. Yeah. No, there will be, yeah, there will be no sequel, <laughs> to even Adam. And, and honestly, at this point, you know, especially since, since Catherine's Newberry win, she's got, work coming out of her ears and I've got two series I'm writing right now and more in the works and I'm packaging. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like we just, we don't have the time and, you know, we're killing ourselves trying to come up with a story for this and it's just not working organically. Hmm. And you know what I was saying before about taking a concept and walking it through? Well, the concept had run out of steam at that point. This concept, even Adam concept did not want to be Mm. two more books let's say yeah just didn't you know well, congratulations to to uh Catherine for writing uh the one and only i haven't i yeah, read seriously. it i i love that book it's great i think you know it's funny i think that's what she was thinking about when she was talking about uh, putting kids in the heads of animals 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just took like you know, another seven years or eight years, whatever it ended up being, before she wrote, you know, before she put that down on paper. So no, that was that was a very cool moment because the night before, uh, Jake, who was our son, said, uh, "What do you think the odds are?" And I told Jake, no, "I think the odds are about one in 20. And we didn't think they would see their way clear to giving a Newberry to the Animorphs lady. Basically, we thought, well, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to look at this and go, "There's all these other writers who haven't, uh, you know, had the chance to like make ridiculous amounts of money, and so they'll deserve it more." Even though we think Ivan's, you know a good book, you know, we still had to look at it and go, yeah, but you know what, all these, these other things, these are good books too. And by the time you're kind of in that final running, everybody's good. You know, it's like a, it's like the World Series or something. You don't get there by being, by writing a shitty book. You get there by writing a great book. So if you're shortlisted, if you're in that last group of like 20 people that people are talking about, it's because you got a good book. And so all those other writers, they were all good writers. They all wrote good books. And so we thought, well, we don't know if, if Catherine's going to win this or not. I thought it was one in 20, and then it turned out to be, you know, turned out to happen. So that was huge. And the funny thing was, you know, that was actually our plan, because I mentioned, you know, we went back to work after this hiatus. You know, basically, I was making all the money, because Gone was was pretty good earner, we were doing okay. Uh, but it was all off Gone and all the stuff I was doing. And Catherine's like, I can't do this, and I can't just sit here and be living off you. And I said, well, let's, you know... You know, that's fine because, you know, there's this other way to do this. You know, this other way to make a good living in writing is to write Charlotte's Web and then sit there and cash E.B. White's checks, you know, for the next 30 years. <laughs> so, so I said, so here's the thing. I'll write this. I'll write my books and I'll cover the expenses. I'll make our, I'll make a living. You go out and win the Newberry. He <laughs> 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 went out and won the fucking Newberry. Well, I said, well, I'll, I'll be goddamn. We actually wow. made a plan and it worked. <laughs> what are the odds of that happening ever again? So that was, yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I uh, I picked up Berserk leading into us doing this episode. I absolutely loved it. It's a weird piece of work, isn't it? It is a weird piece of work. And <laughs> obviously it's a, it's a progression of all the, the crazy like biological themes you guys have been playing with for years. And, yeah. uh, but to this level of uh, global conspiracy and madness, <laughs> and it, I mean, it is, I, I don't know if actually what it's marketed to, but it re- I mean, it reads like an adult book. There's, there's cussing and sex, so that must mean it's adult, mm-hmm. I suppose. But <laughs> Well, um, you know, I, I, I reached the point where in real life, obviously, I curse freely. Mm-hmm, Catherine yeah. curses freely. <laughs> Our kids are fucking awful. I mean, they, <laughs> they sound just like we do. So, um, you're such a cunt. You know, it's like that kind of, that kind of household. We're, we're not the, uh, we're not, uh, we're not what you think of when you think of children's book writers. So, and I thought, you know, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I'd like, I'd watch the language all the way through Gone. And it bothers me as a writer because it's not the way people talk. Because when people, uh, when somebody comes up and hits you in the head with a baseball bat, which happens fairly frequently in Gone, your response is not to say, you know, oh, darn it. So I, it it always it kind of frustrates me because I don't I don't get the concept of cuss words I don't get why people are offended by particular words I really don't aside from the infamous N word for which I can find no benign explanation except that you know when Mark Twain is using it that's one thing but in the current context you can't use that word okay fair enough I'll take that one word out of out of my lexicon not that it was in but you know I, I won't I'll we'll all agree to avoid that one word but that's it. That's it. That's where I draw the fucking line. No, I'm not going <laughs> to avoid any other words. There's no such thing as a bad word. Right. It's just an insane concept. 
There's no such thing as a bad word. I can do so much more damage with a perfectly legitimate word like fat or ugly than I can ever do by saying fuck. And <laughs> I, it irritates the shit out of me that people don't get this. And it irritates me that people are on your ass about this when you're a writer. I get it from even from kids. Like, oh my God, there was cursing in this. And I'll look back to the book, you know, be like gone. I'll be like, what the hell are they talking about? It turns out they're talking about hell. Or I'll say, you know, <laughs> damn it or something. And it's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, that's what that's what's got you upset? They're eating people for Christ's sake. They're <laughs> literally engaged in cannibalism. And somebody says hell and that's a fucking problem? Are you out of your mind? Oh, so, man. you know, so when I got to Berserk, I decided, no, I'm going to write this however I want to write this. I don't care if this is YA. And I deliberately structured it with older characters and younger, you know, teen characters and older characters. So I just decided I, I can't take it. I'm going to write, I'm going to write it in English. I'm going to write the, you know, <laughs> the Queen's English. People's dialogue. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in, in, you know, dialogue that sounds like people said it might speak it yeah. know, at some point. Now, having said all that, uh, that didn't turn out to sell all that many books. Really? So, <laughs> uh, oh, Berserk didn't? So well, with, Messenger, with Messenger of Fear, I'm pulling it back. The Messenger of Fear, which is the next series coming out from me. I'm well, keeping I, just pre- or I just ordered Berserk on Kindle, so you got one more sale. So Ooh. there you go. Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I'm very proud of Berserk. I, I, and I'll tell you why. It was hard to write. And it involved me learning some tricks that I hadn't used up to that point. And stuff that casual readers are not going to notice particularly. And shouldn't, by the way. But <laughs> there's a kind of a, um, for example, Gone is all written. Well, okay, you got an animorph that's all written first person. Everworld is written third person. I think, you know, as I recall, God, it's hard to remember. And, but animorphs is all first person. And then Gone was third person, but third person, um, limited, third person, you know, close. In other words, you see, we see only what the character sees. Mm-hmm. So the characters don't have that God's eye view on stuff. And I was pretty, you know, disciplined about that all the way through. And then when I got to Berserk, it was, uh, I let the POV kind of slide a little bit. I wanted it slippery. I wanted, I wanted to give you that sense that, uh, of unreliability about life, you know, about, about the world that you're inhabiting. So that sometimes we're in that kind of third person, very limited. And then sometimes we slide out of it into a slightly different POV. So we shift POVs inside of a chapter or even sliding around in the scene because the Berserk point of view is, is a big part of it as the, series progresses is you know three all and all and I finish them all so we're done with those. So that was that was something I had to kind of learn how to do and kind of think about a little bit, how to do a slippery POV. I don't even know if that's a word. You know it, it know is it's just, term. it means something completely <laughs> different. <laughs> now, now it's a term. Slippery POV. Yeah. So I just made that. So yeah. So I was doing that and that was different. And at the same time, you know, we were doing this huge uh, effort for uh, transmedia around Berserk, yeah. which just turned into a nightmare. And so the writing of it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And the probably the most uh, unpleasant time I've ever, I've ever had writing was doing Berserk, even though I'm very proud of the work. Secondary issues surrounding it, the, the transmedia stuff, was just, a, was just a nightmare. And I was responsible for it all. I was, you know, I was the one who pushed for it. I said, let's do transmedia, let's do this, let's do that. And I ended up just spending an awful lot of Egmont's money and not getting a whole lot of bang for my buck. So I felt, you know, I felt like, oh, God, I completely failed at that aspect of it. This didn't go very well. But the books themselves, when I, when I can get past that, you know, when I can kind of put that out of my head and look at the books, I think the books are okay. I think I did a decent job of it, and I'm, and I'm proud of it. 
and it's uh, I don't know how far in. Have you read Reloaded yet? I I just got it, so no, and I'm really fucking psyched too, though. (laughs) Well, my attitude with this, my whole approach to Berserk was I wanted to do something very pulpy, very kind of lurid and over the top, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we start with conjoined twins as the bad guys, which is kind of my little signal that, you know, we're all in, dude. That's it. Uh, you know, I'm holding nothing <laughs> at this point. And I wanted, and I wanted to just be kind of, you know, really dark and, um, and disturbing and almost uh, nihilistic, which some people have called it. I, uh, I heard that, uh, Sam Raimi optioned Berserk. Is that, uh, yeah, th- that's I was just, well, it's Sam Raimi's company, but it's more, I think being handled by Sony, which is Columbia pictures. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we are at script on that right now. We've got the script is being worked on. So it's making some progress and we'll see, you know. Yeah. But uh, I don't think, I don't think Rainey's going to be that involved. I don't think he's going to direct or anything, which is a, which is a shame because by, as soon as I found out he was optioning or his company was optioning, by <laughs> book two, of course, I'm writing scenes for Sam Rainey. Because, <laughs> you know. It's like, oh my God, I get to write scenes for Army of Darkness, you know, and I'm just thinking, oh, what kind of, you know, just lurid, over-the-top shit can I put in this? It'd be fucking great, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's so, that Sam Raimi mentality is so in keeping with my vision for the books, you know, that yeah. kind of just, you know, I was, by book two, I'm thinking, thinking now, how do we work Bruce Campbell into this whole thing? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of wish Raimi was going to do it himself, but I don't, I don't think that's probably going to happen. We know better than to hold our breaths for Hollywood, but um, I do I do hope it happens because if so, if any semblance of what's portrayed in the novel Berserk makes it to the screen, it will be a unique experience. And uh, especially with nanomachines being so, uh, like you know, a rising prevalence in today's pop culture, this really puts that whole thing on its head in a really unique way. So it could... Uh, you, know, you know what's weird? When I started out, the science is catching up to me. It's, it's kind of <laughs> weird. It's like I started out and then I... You look over your shoulder and go, oh shit, they're closer than I thought. Um, <laughs> so a lot of the stuff like advanced brain mapping has uh, has begun to become a reality. And of course, nano machines are you know are there and, and uh, genetic engineering and all. Now, obviously, you know, I'm, I made stuff up. Yeah, it's not it's not as divorced from reality as as it might have been. You know, it's kind of catching up. So yeah, I have high hopes for that. And we have a TV deal for Gone. Um, cool. Now, again, it's that option level, so we haven't gotten to writer or anything else, but I always wanted mm. Berserk as a movie. I always saw Berserk as a movie. Even when I was writing the first book before it had been options, I thought, this is something nobody's ever seen before, where you've got combat uh, battle sequences going on simultaneously in the macro and down in the meat. So you've got fights going on where a person can be in a gun battle while at the same time they're fighting, you know, down at the nano level uh, with their biops and nanobots. I thought this is, I don't know how somebody's going to put this on the screen, but it'll be excellent if they do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I did, I did think of Berserk that, and I I told people, I said, I don't know what this is, but I guarantee you, you've never seen anything like this before. (laughs) That's fair. Especially in YA. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, I haven't heard anybody come back and go, "No, nah, I've seen this." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I felt like I'd, I'd accomplished at least that, at least original. Well, Michael, dude, thank you so much for uh, for speaking with us. You, dear listener, uh, want to check out any of these books? We'll link to all of them on this episode's page. Lots of awesome stuff happening in the future. Thanks for having me on. 
All right, something for all you Zelda fans out there. I just recently was able to pick up the uh, the new Zelda Link Between Worlds and I'm having a great time. It's definitely a shorter Zelda game than most, but it is a lot of fun and the top-down 3D is incredible. So if you haven't checked it out, this is a mashup remix of some themes from Ocarina of Time and A Link to the Past by Halk, who's back from hiatus and recently released a new album called Nostalgia Canon. This is The Never-Ending Legend.
Welcome back, guys. This is not the end of Nerdy Show Book Club. Well, it is It is the end, but we have one special, special thing uh, left for you. We're going to read Vegimorphs, an Animorphs parody from, uh, well, from the mid-90s. But before we do that, we got to thank some special people, some special, wonderful people who made Nerdy Show possible. We are listener-supported, a whole listener-supported podcast network, and you guys make us possible. So uh, all your generous donations go into our monthly support drive. We need $300 a month to take care of all of our basic costs to run the network. We also give you perks in the mail when you do. Our brand new perk for this month is actually outtakes and readings from this episode. There's way more readings and more bits of interview with Michael Grant that didn't make it into the episode. So if you support us this month, you get this episode's bonus features. If we make our stretch goal at 600, we're going to be unlocking outtakes from our X-Files episode. And the big one at 800, we'll be unlocking outtakes and additional scenes from the Dungeons & Doritos Book 3 prologue. All that plus, last month, you guys pushed us over our stretch goal of $600. So that means, at long last, 13 minutes of outtakes from our episode Mighty Mega Men featuring outtakes with the Proto-Men was unlocked. This month, we're not just doing our usual support drive, we're actually doing a movie marathon support drive. That means that you guys get to curate the next streamed movie marathon that we do. That's where Nerdy Show hosts get together with the Nerdy Show community and have a group watch of a, uh, a marathon of films and television, all hinged around a theme picked by you. You can either put together a specific playlist of up to 12 hours of content, or you can just pick a general theme, and we'll use our skills to put together a highly appropriate playlist. In the past, we've done a Gamera Marathon. Our most recent one was a Kamaglocklathon, where we watched all films and television featuring amazing actor Kyle McLaughlin. And awesomely enough, that was actually uh, retweeted by him while the event was going on, which is way cool. And, uh, and we also did a Tim Curry-a-thon and a Gundam Marathon. There's all kinds of nerdy-themed movie event possibilities, so we're excited to see what you guys have in mind for us. As of this recording, we only have one supporter in January. That's Big Bad Shadow Man, who threw $5 to the topic... Small Things Causing Big Trouble, which he cites as movies like Gremlins or Small Soldiers, where little things cause terrible, gigantic problems, and also $5 towards an Ultraman marathon, starting with the original Ultraman series, and then there's a whole world of Ultraman that we can experience after that. Now, December was a slow month to start, but you guys made it awesome. We surpassed our base goal and our stretch goal. So thanks to Gary Yurtwamper, Mauron, Arceus, Hoodoo Voodoo, Anique Zimmer, Big Bad Shadow Man, Jeffrey Voss, Britt Richard, Benjamin Britt, Caitlin Kruger, Drafago, Barry I, Heavy Devil, Lawrence Hondrick, Sean Lawlor, Dr. Talos, Logan Stone, Sage Zero, Joshua Mayer, and Joe Barda. Uh, Tolan and the always handsome Russell Spicklemeyer uh, contributed to us recently. They didn't say anything, but uh, some people did say some stuff to us, including Andrea Chereas, who said, Winky Face, I'll be honest. You just boosted my hope in seeing Young Justice again, and that's big for me. So here's enough for your microsode. I'm definitely buying the game. Keep up the awesome work and the awesome Irish accents. That was, of that course, was a horrible Irish accent. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a Tony Baldini classic right there. Don't, don't encourage him. Yeah, please Do don't. He's going to listen to this and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to talk about... No. No. No, Tony. <laughs> it no. Is a, it is a pretty abysmal Irish accent, I got to say. Dude. <laughs> uh, but anyway, she's referring to our Young Justice episode where we spoke to Greg Weissman and Brandon Vietti, the creators of the Young Justice animated television series. So we should totally check that out. We'll link to it on this episode's page where you can listen to that. It was a fantastic interview. Matazam said, just got paid for a commission that found me because of my work on the superly badass Ghostbusters show. I figured like any good pimp slash hoe relationship, I would hook you guys up with a cut. It's a thanks to you after all. 
Keep it up, guys. Nice. Hey, he's referring to the artwork for our Ghostbusters role-playing show, Ghostbusters Resurrection. He does all the art for it, and I, I guess it got him some work, so that's fucking great. You, you deserve it, man, and thank you for sharing the love with us. Nerdy show, employing people. <laughs> Since 2005. This, this also comes from our Young Justice episode. Christopher Jones, the comic artist for the Young Justice series, the Young Justice comic series, the, the one based on the television show, uh, he listened to the episode and, uh, and sent us a letter. Just listened to your episode with Greg and Brandon talking about Young Justice and really enjoyed it. I don't know how it took me this long to find you guys, but I'll definitely be checking out more of your show. Thanks for the kind words about the comic book, and please let me know if there's anything I can do to support future coverage of Young Justice stuff. You can check out his artwork at ChristopherJonesArt.com, and uh, if you're a Young Justice fan, I can't stress this enough, you should totally read the Young Justice comics. They are 100% in continuity. When he's saying Greg and Brandon, he does not mean me. No. I'm pointing that out. Okay. I have no recollection of being that awesome. <laughs> sorry. I, w- I really wish that was me doing it. I-, I couldn't remember. Sage Zero said, just a little something to send you guys into the nerdy new year. Keep being awesome, you magnificent bastards. Joshua Mayer said, another month, another past due donation. Here's $7.50 for every episode of the Epic Piecast, the show where you can nerd out with Schaefer the Dark Lord and magician Nelson Lugo, who hang out in the New York City nerd scene. Uh, he says, if this qualifies for a microsode, I'd like to hear a discussion on pros or cons of being left-handed. And well, there's more than a few lefties here at Nerdy Show, and you did, in fact, score the microsode, so that's coming up. Joe Barta said, it's not much, but here's looking at you, kid. Happy New Year. And Dr. Talos delivered an extremely generous first-time donation. In his support, not only did he himself earn a microsode, but he also bequeathed a microsode to the next person who donated, which was very, very cool of him. In a message entitled, Shut Up and Take My Money, he said, Hello, Nerdy Show gang. What you guys produce is great, and I'm happy to be able to support you. I've wanted to support Nerdy Show for some time, but haven't really been in a good position to do so until recently. The main thing I want to say about the amazing show you guys produce is that it provides a review of nerd culture like very few other outlets do. I've been consumed with training and career issues for most of the last decade after college, and I wasn't able to keep up with many great nerdy things going on in the world. Through Nerdy Show, I've been introduced to a fantastic variety of nerd music, nerd culture, top-quality role-playing enjoyment in the form of Dungeons & Doritos, and I've been able to do so during my daily commute, even though I don't have time to listen to every episode, and I'm often a couple months behind listening to the shows. Most of all, the quality of your podcast is absolutely top-notch, and all the hard work you put into it really shines through. Haven't seen anything that can match what you're doing. You guys are the best. And Dr. Talos, thank you so much. I'm recording this segment outside of the actual recording of this main episode to keep it up to date, but I share this message with uh, the rest of the crew, and we're all extremely grateful and extremely flattered, and thank you to Dr. Talos and uh, all you guys listening and everybody who supported the show. You make Nerdy Show possible, and you guys caring about what we do and making sure we can keep doing it is the absolute greatest thing ever. So if you'd like cool outtakes and perks and other stuff in your uh, sent to your email for any amount, even just a buck, if you like what you heard, just a buck, guys, come on. We will send that to you, and you can also participate in our support drives. When you go to McDonald's, because I know you go to McDonald's, and you see the dollar menu, <laughs> Hopefully just they say, don't go to McDonald's. fuck but- that, yeah. instead of buying a dollar apple pie, I can just give it to the Nerdy Show. That's worth more than a dollar, but I'm going to give a dollar. Yeah, but Brandon, you can get two apple pies for a dollar. Shut the fuck up! Let's go to McDonald's! <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, slut! <laughs> Colin, let's go get apple pies. Double ended apple pies. Let's eat it with our butt. <laughs> uh, are you guys ready for Vegemorphs? No, because I have no I idea. I don't think but anyone can ever be ready for Vegemorphs. <clears throat> yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. So here's, here's the, the great part about this book it was published by a publishing company called Troll. <laughs> Wait, you're kidding me. This is, this is actually. 
Yeah, before there were internet trolls, there was actually a book publishing company called Troll, whose sole purpose was to troll actual books. I, I don't know that that was their sole purpose, but it definitely serves them well in this case. This is That could be very well where the term came from. <laughs> I didn't realize that this was an actual, like, publication. Like, this was on paper. I just yes. thought it was some fanfic. On no, <laughs> this was made. This no. was printed. It's a real book oh, with a completely awful piece of cover art. It's called Vegemorphs, the Fungus Among Us. Um, <laughs> It was, unlike uh, unlike its sister book, Gooflumps, the parody of Goosebumps, which was two books, this is just a standalone book. What's um, a Gooflump? It's a parody of Goosebumps, Brandon. But what is a Gooflump? Uh, we'll find out because I have, in fact, bought both volumes of Gooflumps. <laughs> Why so, would you do that? <laughs> because I like hurting myself. Because okay. Vegemorphs is the other book I read during this time, mm, and it was painful. Masochism. However, because you, I care... You read, the, you read the whole book? I read the entire book, Colin. Cover to cover. Oh How did you not become, like, dumb as rocks while reading it? I did feel a bit like a mushroom afterwards. <laughs> um, anyway, it was, it was very painful, but I've selected the best parts. Uh, for us to read on here. And in fact, there were a couple other moments that we're going to include as bonus perks later on. So keep an eye out for those. I think um, the title Vegemorphs relates to you turning into a vegetable while reading it. It's morphing you into a vegetable. Uh, it, it, it felt like that at times. <laughs> and uh, we it's actually... It's a process. You just haven't realized it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a yeast infection. So there's that. <laughs> oh. And uh, so it has begun. <laughs> uh, so we, we actually we actually told uh, Michael Grant that we're reading uh, Vegemorphs, and this is what he said. We'll yeah, do, we're going to read the uh, the Vegemorphs in a second. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah, I was, by the way, we were so fucking uh, flattered by that, and I think Scholastic at first was like, I don't know, should we shut this down? We're like, Are you kidding? We're being satirized. Oh, man, it is horrible. <laughs> great. Yeah, you know, the only thing better than that is being banned. And between Catherine and I, we're yeah. both like, oh my God, what do we have to do to be banned? <laughs> so I was just hanging out with a bunch of writers, and uh, we were at a thing in um, Chicago with a bunch of writers. Andrew Smith was there. Sonia Sones was there. And Sonia was like, I've been banned. And we were all so it's so jealous. <laughs> like, how do you get banned? Like, hey, uh, what do I have to do to get banned? And we so every, I'll tell you the funny thing is, I think every writer wants to be banned. Now it's a, now it's a badge of honor. <laughs> somebody hasn't banned you you're, you're not for real like what the hell you know i'm really offensive come on ban me <laughs> <laughs> uh so now now we're going to read a a, cl- a, a reinterpretation of one of the classic <clears throat> scenes from animorphs done in vegemorphs in this scene kyle and his friends took a shortcut across withers field a farmer's field where nothing ever grows they're stopped in their tracks by the sight of flying mushrooms high in the sky overhead and then they hear a voice A stalk of broccoli about six feet high was shuffling towards me. Carrie, Tommy, Randy, and Olivia were looking at it too. Did you ever hear the expression, pinch me, I must be dreaming? Well, I pinched myself. Hard. Ow! I heard the screech of pain come out of my mouth. That hurt! I must not have been dreaming! The stalk of broccoli had two shiny red eyes just below what looked like a huge green head of curly hair. It was just the top part of the broccoli, of course. But since I'd never seen a broccoli with a face before, it was hard not to think of it as hair. Here's something else weird. This broccoli had tentacle-like arms and legs at the bottom of the stalk. The broccoli stood in front of us. I am Prince Brassica Oleracia Italica Crucifere, it said. Well, I guess it must have been a he, because a prince is always a he. You may call me Prince Brassica, he said. I tried to say something, but I couldn't. I just kept moving my mouth, but no words came out. Then, finally, I found my voice. Who, uh, uh, who are you? I stammered. The Prince of the Vegetable Kingdom, he replied. Olivia turned green. 
You can talk? And I've been eating vegetables all my life, she gasped. The broccoli gave a dismissive wave of his hand that actually looked regal. There are vegetables and then there are vegetables. It's like comparing a doll or a department store mannequin with a human being. They may look a lot alike, but they aren't the same. How can we tell the difference? Carrie asked. I'd never seen that intense concentration in his eyes before, or heard that heavy tone of voice. The royal vegetable tilted his curly-topped head. Members of the vegetable kingdom can make themselves known to you if you have special powers. Unless they're cut up in a salad, casserole, or side dish first, of course. I swallowed hard, thinking that perhaps I had eaten one of those creatures before. It was as if Prince Brassica had read my thoughts. Don't worry, he said. The royal vegetables are not usually captured. We grow underground, not above ground, as regular vegetables do. In fact, we have a labyrinth of tunnels right under this field. Aha, I thought. That's why nothing ever grows here. That's why nothing ever grows here, said Prince Brassica, <laughs> echoing my thoughts again. We don't need sunlight, but we appreciate all of the care, water, and food we've been given. It's made our lives a lot easier. But why live underground? Don't you prefer the sun? Prince Brassica shook his curly top. We went into hiding until we could find a way to destroy the fungi that were trying to kill us. The jerks. That was on a faraway planet. Now we've come here. So far we've held our own, but it's a constant battle. Every day or so, one of us is spotted, wilted, or dried out, killed by the jerks. Prince Brassica drew himself up to his full height. The jerks attack humans as well as vegetables. They live from decay and need hosts to support what they feed on. They go from planet to planet. When they arrive, they first make everything rot. Then they rule over the mold and fungus that feed on the remains of the life forms here. When there's nothing more to decay, they move on. <coughs> you mean they're going to try to make people decay? That, that's a girl. You, 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 <laughs> do you know that? Maybe yeah. it could be a guy. Okay. <laughs> just, just checking. Yeah. Randy asked with a tremor in her voice. For once, Randy didn't seem so tough. They have fungi they use for soldiers. They cause diseases you may be familiar with, such as athlete's foot. Or worse, blisters, rashes, and horrible oozing sores. Stop, said Olivia. I can't stand it anymore. Me either, said Tommy. Don't despair. We of the Vegetable Kingdom have vowed to fight the jerks wherever they go. We have followed them to dozens of planets throughout the galaxy. Have you succeeded? Tommy asked. Prince Brassica looked sad. We lost the last planet, he said. What about the one before that? Asked Randy. Prince Brassica shook his head. Beaten. But you won on the planet before that, right? Olivia asked eagerly. Prince Brassica hung his curly head and looked at the ground. Ugh. Not exactly. My stomach was churning. I was feeling sick. Exactly how many times have you defeated the jerks? How many planets have you saved? An awful silence hung in the air. We all waited for the answer. Then we waited some more. Let me guess, I finally said. What you're not saying is that you've never won. You haven't saved a single planet from the jerks, have you? Something like a little sob escaped from Prince Brassica. <laughs> all right, all right, we've never won. In the end, we always turn and run. And they cover everything with molds, he said. His voice took a whiny tone. Do you know what that does to my self-esteem? He said. I feel like a joke. Now, now. Olivia put her arm around him. Do they have therapists in the vegetable kingdom? 
You need to feel better about yourself. Cut it out, Olivia, I said. I pointed to the big mushroom in the sky. We're being attacked. I turned to Prince Brassica. Pull yourself together and help us. What can we do about this? Just then, a group of large asparagus marched across the field towards us. It was one strange sight, I have to tell you. Just try to imagine having about seven asparagus, eight or nine feet tall, coming toward you. You are an alien being, said one in a voice that made my eardrums pound. Away with you, back away from Prince Brassica, rumbled another. Get lost, commanded a third. Suddenly, Prince Brassica turned around and faced the head asparagus. Back off, Jack, he snapped. Don't forget who's running the show here. Wow, I was relieved. In an instant, Prince Brassica had turned from a whiner to a leader. Maybe he could help us after all. The group of asparagus aficionalis withered a little and looked embarrassed. Prince Brassica stood up straight. The jerks are parasites. They live off and try to control whatever they invade. Watch for people who scratch. Watch for blisters and deformed fingernails. And watch how people act. He paused and watched the mushroom descend. I can give you special powers that no humans have. Prince Brassica said after a moment. For an instant, he looked proud. I can teach you how to change, morph, into members of the vegetable kingdom. I can show you how to become vegetables. Tommy rolled his eyes. Terrific. I could turn into a tomato. That ought to frighten the pants off anybody, bruh. I had to admit, it didn't sound like much of a scare tactic. This is terrible writing. Mm -hmm. As a vegetable, you can communicate with the members of the vegetable kingdom. As a vegetable, you can hide. The jerks and the humans who are taken over by them won't be able to tell if you're a real vegetable or not. You can zap them with vitamins and minerals. <laughs> I let out a long sigh. It was better than nothing. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> so... How do we become vegetables? Once I give you the special power, all you have to do is smell a vegetable deeply, and you will discover its essence. <laughs> your body will be in tune with the vegetable. Then, once you put your mind to it, you can turn into one. You won't be ordinary vegetables. The broccoli told us. Not only will you have the powers and members of the vegetable kingdom, but the vegetable DNA will combine with your human DNA. You'll have the combined powers of both species. Then you can use them to fight the jerks. We all stood there, speechless. I don't know what was going through everyone else's mind, but I guess my friends were thinking what I was, that maybe we'd eaten something at the bingo parlor that was making us feel like we'd fallen down the rabbit hole and gone through the looking glass in Alice in Wonderland. The bingo parlor? How old are they? Are they 90? Yeah, the fucking retirement? Oh, they, they hang out at the bingo parlor. No one hangs out at a bingo parlor <laughs> unless you're dying. Actually, you can't even hang out unless you're 18, can you? Like, don't you have to be legal gambling age or something? It's shit? a proper old woman bingo parlor. I think that it's uh, not, not for cash. I should probably tell you that this can be dangerous. If you remain a vegetable longer than the recommended cooking time... <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, fuck. Let me start that over. Mm. No, no, no. Mm. <laughs> you uh, will remain a vegetable for all eternity. The ship was rapidly approaching. Fine, I said, trying to be polite. Uh, didn't keep the impatience out of my voice. Prince Brassica pointed to a hole in the ground. Squirm on down there, he said to me. <laughs> there is a network of big tunnels underneath this field. That's where we've been hiding. Once you get down the main tunnel, you'll come to a fork. You mean the tunnel will branch into two, I asked. Prince Brassica looked puzzled. What are you talking about? I mean a fork. 
Later on, you'll come to a spoon and a knife. You make a right at the fork, go straight until you come to the spoon, then make a left until you come to the knife. My headquarters is just behind it, inside the big cup and saucer. Um, okay, I said. I could see Tommy was barely able to control his laughter. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Prince Brassica glared at Tommy, then turned back to me. Pull the handle on the cup, and the door will open. On the other side, you'll find a big broom. Sorry, a room. Room <laughs> <laughs> might be better. On the other, fuck me. On the other side, you'll find a big room. Go in there and open the refrigerator. Bring me back the bottle of salad dressing you find inside. Without another word, I headed down the hole. It was scary in there. It was dark, and I could feel ants crawling on me. Just like my holes. <laughs> oh. Soon afterwards... What took you so long? Olivia asked. No time to be a slowpoke, said Randy. Stop bickering, commanded Prince Brassica. He grasped the dressing with a leafy hand. Everyone put your hands on the bottle, close your eyes, and clear your minds. We did as he said. Prince Brassica put his leafy hand over ours. I wish I could remember whether the salad dressing was Thousand Island, creamy garlic, or ranch, but I can't. All I remember is that a strange tingle went through my body. I felt a whirl of sensations tumbling over one another. I felt tart and tangy, crisp and cool, <laughs> hot and spicy, crunchy and mellow, all at once. I guess the best way to describe it is that I felt like I was being tossed by a gigantic fork and spoon <laughs> over and over again. I can totally relate to that. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. We'll get into that later. <laughs> then, suddenly, the sensation was gone, and I felt better than I'd ever had in my entire life. It was like I had been all mixed up, and now everything was mixed right. I had been tossed. <laughs> I actually fucking wrote that shit. Alright. <clears throat> now all you have to do is smell a vegetable deeply to become one with it. To morph into that species of vegetable. Said Prince Brassica. Then just concentrate on being human again and you can morph back. The prince looks serious. You can make other people turn into vegetables too, he said. Just keep talking to them constantly in a monotone about the most boring thing you can think of. At the same time, keep a mental picture in your mind of the vegetable you want them to be. Then they will have the same powers you do. Fuck this shit. The powers of a full member of the vegetable kingdom, plus your human powers. Or you could just read them this, and it'll work too. <laughs> <laughs> Prince Brassica was speaking faster and faster now. The giant mushroom had touched down on the ground. Its lights were flashing, and a door in the stem was starting to open. A huge creature wearing terrible clothes stepped out of the mushroom. I was confused. He looked like Prince Brassica, a broccoli, in a bad outfit. I don't get it. He looks like a vegetable, I said. Prince Brassica stood high on his stalk and shook his curly head. No! That's no vegetable! That's Fungus! <laughs> the only one of the fungi that can morph into a vegetable. Fungus is their leader, he's ruthless, and he's probably the biggest jerk of all. Abow! He probably the biggest dang jerk of all what with me bottle in my hands. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so that was uh, that was an excerpt from Vegemorphs, and like I said, if you want to hear a little bit more, we we did read some other choice selections from uh, from that book. And thank you so much for listening. Oh, we haven't announced the next uh, Nerdy Show Book Club book. Oh, geez, whose turn is it? It's my turn. Colin, what's the book we're going to be reading? I can hardly wait. There better be pictures. We, we are reading the Ocean at the End of the Lane. 
by Neil, by Neil Gaiman. And it's actually a kind of a modern day uh, fairy tale book where, um, as far as I know, because I haven't read it, but basically it's set in England, as so many fairy tales do. It's the story of a man who returns to his childhood home to attend a funeral, and he meets this girl who's been sitting at this pond for a long time who calls it a, an ocean. And apparently, um, as, as I've read some things online, it's, it's this really amazing fairy tale of this man and, and what happens to him. And of course, it's Neil Gaiman, so it's a little dark, but apparently somebody commits suicide. And uh, as that's crossing over, a supernatural being comes into the real world and um, starts to give people money in very peculiar and twisted ways um like where people are choking on coins and all that sort of stuff <laughs> my uh my wife read it and she thought that it was an amazing book so uh she highly recommends it to me and i'm highly recommended it to you guys because my wife chooses uh really good books I, I, my, wife, my wife reads really great books and i have not she has not steered me wrong yet so. But, you know, we've been doing a lot of Nerdy Show Book Club episodes, and this will actually make Neil Gaiman's debut on the book club, which is surprising, given right. that it's Nerdy Show Book Club. So uh, you've you've popped our Gaiman cherry. Yes, indeed. <laughs> you so. popped our gay man cherry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So you can pick up The Ocean at the End of the Lane uh, on this page, and, or if you are listening to us through uh, your iTunes or you've downloaded us, just uh, hop on to the uh, Nerdy Show webpage, and uh, if you're going to buy it through Amazon, go ahead and buy it through one of our links. If you go to nerdyshow.com, there's a banner link to our Amazon affiliate link on the right-hand side of the page. And in fact, if you're in Canada or the UK, there are also links to our Canada and UK affiliates as well. Just use our Nerdy Show Amazon links, shop as you normally would, and money will actually trickle down to us. So if you're buying any TVs or anything, oh man, you should probably use those Amazon links on Nerdy Show. That would mean the world to us. And hey, if you do that, let us know and we will thank you appropriately because that's way cool. Blowjobs. Oh yeah. We will give them to you. Uh, BJs, HJs, and QJs. And RJs tell you about that one later thanks so much for listening bye i'm cap bye i'm brandon bye i'm colin bye i'm jessica taking us out we have a rap track fit to accompany some vegemorphs this is called carrot highway by mouth's cradle mouth's cradle is one of my favorite musical encounters of uh 2013 i was put onto them by nerdy show listener larry fine who told me about them while at nerdapalooza this year uh they're a nerd rap duo We'll link to where you can check out their music. We're definitely going to be featuring some of their tracks on any forthcoming Pokeballs of Steelix episodes. And they did, a, they did an EP called Mouth's Cradle is Terrible, where they rapped to the theme of and remixed music from prominent Everything is Terrible videos. Everything is Terrible, of course, is the amazing video archivist mashup artists who take strange, strange VHS findings and make the best parts available and usually pretty surreal montages. So they did this themed EP, and one of the tracks is Carrot Highway, based on a song by Raffi. So if you dig this, then be sure to check out all the other Mouth's Cradle tracks over at their Bandcamp page, which we'll link to. You can download the 2012 album Clark Kent for free from their website, or pay what you want from their Bandcamp. This is Carrot Highway by Mouth's Cradle. Are you going my way? On the carrot highway Times are rough, Malfi got that on his luck Had to play noise saxophone in little clubs for a couple bucks But it's a living If God is so forgiving then How come I don't feel the way I did when I was innocent Wake me up like Finnegan Damn this beat's like cinnamon Better when my throat hurts Watch
wash down with yogurt No one understands the kids Tell me where the candy is Gonna burn this city down Like my name's Ozymandias That'll take it for granted This pansy ass's ability guy I'm overriding these ritual virility rights On the highway Moving towards your area sun Rive it up in stereo gum I don't give a fuck about that And I don't give a fuck For your stupid little party tricks Plus your flow is hardly quick So much your a doppelganger Everybody in this town Is some kind of perverted stranger Still there's something in my mind A feeling of impending danger phone only got a dial tone now i'm thinking something's wrong lights is on but no one's home i resolved to keep it cool remembering the apprehension brought to my attention by a certain unmentionable driving through the desert is like driving through a new dimension testing out my new suspension anybody fuck with you they fuck with me and i come with a vengeance with no time for repentance my enemies taste like vegetables Yeah, baby, take it all, and make me take it off Now while I got you in my office, turn your head and cough I'm coming up the walk like, can I get a witness? Call me Tom Cruise, cause this is risky business Someone's on my shit list, later when I catch you You'll be crying blood like a Virgin Mary statue Crap shoot, you can call me Snake Eyes Heard it through the grapevine How come every MC is alright in the same rhyme? Shouting at the same time, tweens at a concert Jab from my left hook, make your fucking jaw hurt Mouthy's flow is uncooked, yeah he's spitting raw verse But now he's running blind through his own house like a wolf Rat. Never understood that, but let's do damage Using every breath to my advantage I would do anything for another slice of wedding cake But I don't even know whose blood I'm washing off my hands Yeah, I don't even know whose blood I'm washing off my hands I don't even know whose blood I'm washing off my hands Oh, hey, you made it to the end of the episode. Well, I've got some sexy secret things to tell you. Uh, not really too secret. I do say them at the end of every episode. But if you liked what you heard, it is imperative that you follow my every word. First, I want to thank you for listening to Nerdy Show. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows in the Nerdy Show network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, shopping at nerdyshow.com store, or, most importantly, by directly donating to the network. Any size contribution gets you exclusive nerdy show outtakes, dramatic readings, images, and other crazy stuff and lets you participate in our monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. But if you really want to level up, find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other nerdy show programming. Just visit nerdyshow.com sponsorships. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, as well as other fine programs, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes store, and for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. So to recap, tell a friend, donate to the show, and connect with the entire Nerdy Show network crew online. We're glad to be your home for authentic nerdy entertainment.